Hey everyone, this is Jay Johnson from One with the Undercard. Do you want to support your favorite heels and a great small business at the same time? Look no further than holdfastcoffeeco.com, where you can use the promo code HEELTURN20 to get 20% off your entire basket. They're great people, it's great coffee, and their coffee is responsibly sourced. Turn to Hold Fast Coffee Company for all of your coffee needs. And now for this week's episode. You are listening to the Heel Turn Collective Radio Network. Welcome on in. It's episode number 18 of the Heel Turn Collective Podcast. I am, of course, your social media savior, Lance. And I am joined in the broadcast booth once again by my boy Shane Riley. What's going on, Shane? Absolutely nothing. I accidentally like tinted my windows too dark on my car, so I'm ex- I'm expecting a uh, a ticket for that within the, the like upcoming days. But we're gonna cross that bridge when we get there. Wait a minute! You tinted your windows too dark? Yeah, on accident. Um. Yeah, I just got like a thing. I was like, oh, like this is kind of close to the legal limit, so we'll just grab that and got the the whole arts and craft project was done. And you literally can't see inside of my car, so um, problem for future Shane on that one. Yeah, I would say so. So uh, <laughs> if the Colorado Springs police chief is uh, is listening right now, you got a guy in with tinted windows in a car that are a little bit too tinted and. Uh, Hopefully you don't. Uh, hopefully you don't mistake in my man Shane as a uh, as a man of, of African American descent, and then accidentally kill him. So uh, I my gun discharged in the holster. I don't know what happened. That that threat is now eliminated. So hopefully that doesn't happen, and Shane uh, doesn't get pulled over. Right? I mean that's what we can hope yeah. for. We can, we can only hope, yeah. Yes, we can only hope. So, But this is the Heel Turn Collective Podcast brought to you by the Whole Fast Coffee Company. Make sure you're going to wholefastcoffeeco.com and using that promo code HEELTURN20 to get 20% off your entire basket today. With that being said, Shane, we got a pretty big episode today. Our boy Michael from the band Daisy Head joins Joins Daisy Mike yeah, jumps in the ring with us. Absolutely. Jumps in the ring uh, over the top rope, the giant style. Um, Michael is the guitarist and singer of the band Daisy Head. He's also a certified forklift driver, which is kind of fun. Forklift Mike. Absolutely, forklift Mike. And he's also a Tennessee Titans fan. We talk about all that and more uh, today on the episode, as well as some week two action, Shane. God damn it, my man. I can't even – I'm so frustrated right now. We're going to get into that and then obviously end the show with our week three picks and our heel of the week. So, I mean, just an action-packed show today, Shane. You ready to get into it? Let's go for it. All right, let's do it. Let's talk some shit and get our asses whipped. Let's rock and roll. And right off the top, my man, there's a clip i got to play for you, Shane. And this clip okay. – is going to recognize everything that I am feeling right now, my man. Are you ready for this? I'm, I'm absolutely ready. So here we go. Dallas needs this without timeouts. Zerline, little squibber. It's got to go 10 yards, and it's close. Zerline may have come through. Who's got it? The Cowboys have it. Do you believe that? 
Jesus Christ, Shane. Legatron. Legatron, Greg Zerline, strikes fear in Falcons fans everywhere, kicks the gnarliest onside kick I've ever fucking seen, but you know what? It does the trick. The Atlanta Falcons hands team watches the ball for some reason unknown and, to everybody. Uh, well, I wonder if it was spinning at such a speed that it created a frequency that made them just like, immo- like immobile. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things I could say leading up to this game, and there was three games I really wanted to capture this week before we get into our conversation with Mike. Uh, this being one of them the Steelers-Broncos game, and the Seahawks-Patriots game, because those are three games that I think are pivotal mm-hmm. to what me and Shane got going on. But, boy, I'll tell you. Falcons were up 39-30 to with about five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. You got a nine-point lead. Can't even nurse that. Don't worry. That <laughs> evaporates. Dallas marches right down the field, scores a touchdown. Okay, I've seen this song and dance before. I've seen all this before, you know. Um, hey, it brings a tear to my eye, Shane, just talking about it, buddy. Super I, I Bowl, you're a little bit choked up there. I can actually hear it. Super Bowl 51 is a sore spot for you boys. Very excited. That's the day when I realized Tom Brady was the greatest to ever do this. Was That, mm. that was the night that it capped it for me. I got to tell you, though, man, believe it or not, this felt worse in the Super Bowl if we're being completely honest. This game was your opportunity to kind of right the ship a little bit. Mm -hmm. To start the season one and one, you know, all right, now we get some forward momentum going. You know, we got a big lead. Dallas made a lot of mistakes. This fucking team, Shane, had two fake punts. Dallas had two fake punts in this game. Failed to convert on both of them. They didn't connect on either one. Also, hilarious the announcers bring up they trust the punter to throw the ball on fourth down, but not Dak Prescott. Funny little anecdote there. Um, (laughs) I got to say, though, man, you got 39-30 lead in the fourth quarter, and you can't fucking hang on to it. Greg Zerline comes up, kicks this onside kick that I think the best way you could put it is is the weirdest thing I've ever fucking seen. It'll be the weirdest kick. It'll live in my dreams forever. Shane, what are your thoughts on the fucking Falcons here, man? Just just completely choking, by the way. I we have to be getting into the world like into the realm of they they have to be thinking rebuild soon. Do you do you know when their bye week is? Christ, I don't even can't come soon enough. There's I would not be stunned if that bye week we saw like especially if it keeps going like this, if we see some monumental shifts start happening um i also i think they're about two weeks away for me into entering into the uh um to the trevor lawrence sweepstakes i'm gonna be real um which i feel like atlanta would welcome that with open arms at this point um their bye week is week 10 uh (sighs) leading up to that they got the bears loss they play at green bay loss they play carolina loss at Minnesota, eh. probably a loss. Uh, and then they played Detroit. They could win that game. At Carolina, they could win that game. And then they should beat Denver. So realistically, week 10, you're probably 3-7 and seven going into the bye. Man. Pathetic. 
fucking not pathetic, good. Shane. Come on. Man. This is we're gonna be saying this all season. Um, which we said like talking to Mike. They they are wasting Julio Jones's prime, dude. Oh, it's fucking um, it's ridiculous. And, and this is I think this is even worse than how badly Calvin Johnson was wasted. I'll say that much. I I can't disagree with you in that sense. I mean, it's fucking infuriating. It's so infuriating, in fact. Mm-hmm. It's so infuriating, in fact, that I don't want to fucking talk about it anymore. Let's transition. <laughs> Let's transition, Shano. Let's St- transition. Steelers, Broncos. Drew Locke gets knocked out very early. I'm mm-hmm. talking first quarter action gets knocked yep. out. Jeff Driscoll comes in, plays the Steelers very uh, competitively. You actually texted me mid-game and said, I hope the Steelers lose to Jeff Driscoll. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, the Steelers held on. I still think the Steelers are a lot better team than you do. Shane, what do you take away from that game last week? I'm convinced that if Drew Locke stays in that game, the Broncos win. Um, The Steelers, this is why I'll never put them into an elite category um, because they refuse – to like to win clean games against teams that they should destroy, um, the fact that it was on like what like a, I think it was a field goal. It was like one a one possession win um, against the Jeff Driscoll led Broncos. That should have been a two possession game easy, easy. Um, Roethlisberger and, had a hell of a throw there though. He had a uh, hell of a throw in that game. Ah, uh, Jesus Christ. The uh, fact that you will never give Ben Roethlisberger his just due is one of the most infuriating things. I won't. I won't. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a thing like it. I mean, obviously, I'm stoked for a win, um, but it it created more questions than than answers for me for the Steelers. Um, I'll tell you what's not questionable is that fucking defense, bro. <sighs> Bud Dupree's a, just an animal. I mean, and you got. Yeah. You got T.J. Watt, you know. You got Bud Dupree, Devin Bush, Minka Fitzpatrick. Have, I mean, that's that defense. We have, the Steelers have this uh, like innate ability to just have the best linebacking core in football consistently. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm super super stoked about the, that defense. Any any depth into the season success that we get um, is going to be solely reliant off the defense, and that's it calling it right now. Yeah, well, again, and I think we got into this a little bit last week, I've seen a really bad Baltimore offense win a Super Bowl in 2000 where that defense absolutely carried them. Uh, Mm -hmm. Trent Dilfer won the Super Bowl that year. So I think that Ben Roethlisberger is marginally better than Trent Dilfer. Um, So, yeah, well, I mean, come on, Shane. He's – I think I think <laughs> Roethlisberger moonwalks into the Hall of Fame, but uh, you have you have some reservations about that. But uh, I think it was a nice I mean, bounce. He's going to. He shouldn't, but yeah, he's going to. I think James Conner had a nice comeback game. Uh, they got mm-hmm. Juju involved and Deontay Johnson and you know James Washington. They they get really got all their pieces kind of cooking. Um, although you're right, you know a Denver team they were scrappy, but at the same time, you know. I feel like the Steelers are the better team, so they should have put them away uh, a little bit quicker. And that's than they down did. Von Miller too. Yeah, absolutely, it is down Von Miller. So one of the keys of the game we talked about last week, you know, Von Miller is mm-hmm. going to be a big, big loss for this team, and I think it's showing really yep. now. Um, yep. 
you know, as we go. But no, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, which I will say also, I am, I am kind of soaked about the direction of that Broncos team. Um, I do like Drew Locke a lot. I like how he plays football. Um, I'm just hoping that that team can keep trending upwards. I don't trust John Elway as a GM as far as I can throw him personally. No, um, no pun intended. So I don't. Yeah, so I don't trust that he's going to be able to keep that team on the right path, but that team has a lot of potential. I think I, they they kind of are similar. I'm I'm not as hyped about the Broncos, obviously, but they're kind of in that Cardinals realm where it's like a young team that I think with the right, with the right leadership, down the road could be a could be a real lethal team. Yeah. I think that I don't know if Vic Fangio is the coach that you would want uh, to yep. lead kind of a young offense, but I think he's doing a, a fine job, you know, with the, with the weapons he has and things like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, yep. the Steelers do go to two and zero, where the Broncos uh, fall to zero and two. Drew Locke, I mean, look, we didn't even touch on NFL injuries yet, but um, coming out of the game, Drew Locke looks like he's going to miss three to five weeks. That's that's killer. Uh, the Broncos are not any good, really, with them. So without yeah. them, it's just going to be, you know, they were kind of a sleeper, but you know, after the first couple of weeks, that just kind of goes out the window. Um, but then we have the Sunday night game, Seattle, New England, a real good matchup. I mean, this game was a lot better than I think it had any, any. This game was a lot better than it had any reason being, right? Um, I'm going to disagree with you. I, I on record last week said that I think this is going to be the game of the week. Um, and it kind of lived up to it for me. I was very, very excited about that game. Yeah. Um, one of the first times I think that Patriots team made a really, really stupid end of the game decision. I like I, of all the people showing or like that was watching that game. Like I probably every single person knew it was coming on that last play. I think that, um, Cam had the hot hand on that last drive, um, like slinging the rock around. And I think if they did a more spread out five wide, like spread the field thing and tried to pass the ball, at least as a pass first option, I think the Patriots win that game. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Uh, towards the end of the game, you know, New England's on the one yard line with like no time left and they mm-hmm. run everybody in Seattle and Everybody in the world knew that Cam Newton was running the ball, and he gets yep. stuffed. And I don't think it was necessarily his fault. It was kind of a, it was kind of a bad play call. But I mean, mm-hmm. you're trying to put the ball in in the place where it can be the most effective. So um, I don't blame Belichick obviously for that loss, but uh, I think that from here, I think the Cam Newton we've seen in New England is really refreshing. I think that yep. he is kind of in his back got kind of his mojo back which is kind of sweet um mm-hmm. so I, i'm i'm big on cam newton he's, in new england he's in the, he's in the same realm as we were talking about like we have heel aaron Rodgers right now in the nfl you know he was just kind of playing with a boulder on his back mm-hmm. um i think we have we have heel cam newton as well right now which yeah. is sick they they just get like the um you just get the best and the worst of it, you know. That that's mm-hmm. kind of how it all comes out. So, um, something else to talk about from the slew of games this week, man, is the motherfucking injuries, bro. And a lot of people are chalking this up to uh, no preseason, limited training mm-hmm. camp, things like that. You're gonna run into stuff like this. But there's a lot of big name players that are out, man. 
Nick Bosa for the 49ers, torn ACL, out for the rest of the season. Saquon Barkley, torn ACL, out for the rest of the season. The Giants might go 0-16 without Saquon Barkley. Just yep. a heads up. And a lot of fantasy owners are going to jump off a bridge. Um, <laughs> Christian McCaffrey, high ankle sprain, out three to five weeks. That's huge. I mean, right there. Th- those three well, players right there. You know, it's just it's And this a- is also this is also kind of like putting it into what makes the NFL regular season my favorite of all regular seasons. You got sixteen games. So all of a sudden, like we're we're in the chunk where it's like say say um with Carolina, if they hit a cold streak during while he's out, all of a sudden they're out of the playoff race. Exactly. Like three games can dictate if you're in the playoffs or not. Absolutely. It's not baseball or basketball where you have mm-hmm. a huge a sample size. Games. Yeah. I mean, uh, Drew Locke sprained his AC joint. He's out three to five weeks. Cortland Sutton, uh, his wide receiver, tore his ACL. He's out for the year. Jimmy Garoppolo, high ankle sprain. Uh, he said he could play this week, but it all depends on how it kind of plays out. Devontae Adams has a hamstring injury. Um I mean, just a slew. Just, I mean, Malik Hooker for the Colts, Achilles tendon, you know, um, just all over the place. The one that hurt me the most, Raheem, I think it's Mostet for the 49ers, Mm -hmm. running back. He he has a knee injury, sprained MCL. Uh, He is my number one go-to running back uh, right now in fantasy, (laughs) so I'm hoping he doesn't miss any time. Tyrod Taylor, mysterious chest injuries, injury before the game, but then Justin Herbert comes in and, and looks like he's a seasoned veteran. So um, I, I'm I nervous where this is going to go for Tyrod. Yeah, I feel like I feel like this is going to be a sim- very very similar thing that has been the history of his career, which has been whether it be injury or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he just loses his starting job, and I feel I'm 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 worried for him. Yep, me too, because I think they might just be like, you know what, we put this kid out, he looked all right, why not just ride that horse, you know? Um, Bruce Irvin mm-hmm. tore yep. his ACL for the, for the Seahawks. Just Injuries just everywhere, man, plaguing. And we all thought, as fantasy football owners, we all thought going into it that COVID would be the thing, but really it's the truncated preseason. Mm-hmm. and just it, it makes me curious on that too is like, at what point, do, like, will it ever get crazy enough injury-wise that they might consider doing something about the season? Where they're like, hey, like, we realize that, you know, maybe the, the shortened training camp, like missing the preseason, maybe that is integral. And, I like, I'm curious if, if they could, like, pause the season, shorten the season or something just to keep some, like, major, major players. Because, like, what if – like Lamar Jackson, what if Patty Mahomes go down for the rest of the year? Like, like football is going to suffer ratings wise. Oh, absolutely, if, it is. If those people go down, yeah. So, um, I mean, just a rash of injuries, and, and as we kind of come into Week Three, it's going to be interesting to see how these teams kind of bounce back. Um, but yeah, I mean, so uh, we do have Michael on today from Daisy Head. Uh, he. We, we do have a great conversation with him. Before we get into that, though, at the end of the episode, we're going to do our heel turn collective picks like we do every week uh, so mm-hmm. far. And I got to say, Shane, so far through two weeks, man, not too shabby. You went 13-3 and three with your picks last week. I also went 13-3 and three, 
Uh, actually, it would be 12 and four because we are now, we now know that we both took the Saints and the Raiders one, so we both went 12 and four. I spoke mm-hmm. uh, prematurely on that one, uh, but that puts our <laughs> overall record. Uh, you sit at 21 and 11. I sit at uh, 22 and 10. So uh, strong start to the season for both of us, I'd say, on these picks. Yeah, yeah. two weeks in. Do you have any? Uh... Do you have any bold prediction going into the rest of the rest of the year as far as maybe like MVP leads or you know anything like that? One of the one of the dark horses that I think a lot of people aren't talking about is Josh Allen. He's a kid that mm. I think is poised to really break out this year and I think that uh I'm all on the Josh Allen train. It's just all about I, how Buffalo can do, you know. I, I saw the, I saw that stiff arm on Kyle Van Noy, and I was like, "Yep, I like him." Yeah, he's just <laughs> he's a tough, rugged kid, and I just think that he, uh, I just think that he he's early on. I mean, who who do you got maybe in the early MVP pick? Early on, I'm not saying he's going to be the MVP, but I think that he, he's going to be in the discussion. I think Kyler Murray's going to get going to get some nods, um, if. If Cam keeps this up, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna get some nods as well. I think this is Russell um, Wilson's award to lose this year. Yeah, I, I think this is one hundred percent Russell Wilson's award to lose. Um, one hundred percent. Absolutely. I, uh, I think Russell Wilson's just playing out of his mind right now, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, with and, every game, and they're still locking it in. Yeah. Like this is only like this is essentially preseason game two. Well, just look at it like this. He has nine touchdowns and one interception through two games. So wrap your head around that. But uh, and he's like throwing the ball. Like these aren't like short, like dink and dunk stuff. He's oh, yeah. bombing the ball too. Oh, absolutely. So, but you know what, Shane? I mean, we got all that, man. But really, let's get into our conversation with Mike Rowe, the singer yep. and the guitar player of Daisy Head. I mean, we just have a great conversation about pretty much everything. So uh, we mm-hmm. hope you stick stick around, uh, listen to what we got, and then our picks and the heel of the week on the other end. So uh, we'll see yep. you then. Cool. And now stepping into the ring and joining us this week is guitarist and singer of the band Daisy Head, also a certified forklift driver and an agonizing and agonized longtime Titans fan. It's Michael Rowe. What's going on, Michael? Hey, it's nice to finally meet you. Yeah, I mean, after all this time, I think it's uh, I think it's only appropriate we got you on the show. Shane has been telling me um, how good your band has been. And, uh, you know, I listened to it with mixed results. You know, I, I thought it was all right at, at first, and then it kind of grew on me a little bit. So, I mean, there's that. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad it grew. Yeah, I mean, it's better than just being completely shitty, which is uh, – some band standings in my eyes have will always be completely <laughs> shitty. You can ask Shane. Uh, that is something that it's is true. in. It is true. I can, I can verify that. Oh, absolutely. So, I but mean, yeah, it's okay. Even if you thought Daisy had a shitty, I really wouldn't. I'd still have this conversation and be happy. It's all good. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, because there's a lot of people. It seems like there's a lot of division going on in the world right now. So it's kind of cool that I could openly just call your band average and you would be all right with it. I yeah, don't look think. At that average but i'm just saying yeah no i mean it's all good but thank you i'm glad that you enjoyed it even if it was just a little okay so but yeah i mean i I really appreciate you coming on the show though michael i mean uh it's uh a band like daisy head's really cool because it seems like it's a a type of music that a lot of people get into i mean we're gonna get into all that and plus why the hell you're a titans fan other than the fact that you grew up in nashville 
your whole life. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, let's start. Let's start right there, man. The origins uh, of Daisy Head, or not even the origins of Daisy Head, just the origins of you musically, man. Why don't you take us through that a little bit? What were some of your early influences? Uh, some of the bands that you heard that kind of got the needle moving for a young Michael Rowe, you know, just uh, mm-hmm. tell us about some of that. Um, okay, cool. So I kind of got into music when I was, uh, I don't know, like 14 or so. Uh, I really, really got into like Blink-182 and Yellow Card and Good Charlotte and bands like that. So um, I never really cared about singing. Like my parents tried to get me to sing in, in like Sunday school and church stuff when I was young and it always embarrassed me because that's a really embarrassing setting to do that, especially right. as a kid. So, uh, so later on, I didn't really know if I was a singer or not until, <clears throat> you know, I just started listening to those bands and get, I got a guitar and just would learn how to play those and sing along with it. And then, uh, you know, kind of as that progressed, um, I was around a lot of like skateboarding and music culture at that age. There was this, uh, I, I grew up in Memphis and there was this venue there called skate park of Memphis. So um, you go there and you'd skate. And then in this, in the mini ramp that they have, they kind of converted that into a stage. So every Friday night you can still skate throughout the skate park, but there's also this huge area where there's like 400 kids watching like a punk band, like, like Mike Vallely uh, did this demo there where he came and he skated. And then Mike B and the rats, which is a band that was on some of the early Tony Hawk pro skater games would like they played at, at that venue and it was just like the craziest thing I've ever seen. So Were you I, at I, that? I found seeing, <clears throat> yeah, I went to that. that that's freaking sick. Jeez. <laughs> it, it, it was amazing. And this was before yeah. he started doing movies and stuff. I think this is like around the time that video came out where he like beat the shit out of those four dudes in a parking lot. Yep. You remember, oh you guys ever gosh, seen that video? Yeah. <laughs> what a video to add, by the way. This guy just I takes know. on four fucking intruders in the parking lot and just wipes them out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then he's just, like, kind of laughing afterwards. So he, <laughs> he's just always been that kind of guy. But, um, but yeah, being around that culture, it made me I, – I was never really a great skateboarder, so I, I did it for fun. But when I saw the music and stuff, I would stop skating and just kind of watch. And I remember one of those shows, uh, I just kind of looked and said, this is what I want to do. So I just kind of stayed in music from then until even still now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I did all that cringy stuff when I was 16. I was really big from first to last fan. So, and bands like, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'll say I still listen to them too. That's, that's one of my guilty pleasures. I'll, I'll still hold on to. It sounds like you wouldn't agree, but that's okay. You know Um, what? Uh, let me tell you something. A funny story, actually. Uh, my wife's (laughs) name is Emily. And from first to last. Oh no. Oh, Emily. I know where you're Uh, going. Yeah. So I think that, uh, you know, when I met her, you know, she was a scene kid too. I think we all kind of were in that phase, you know, early mid two thousands, you know, and, uh, it's a a lifestyle uh, phase, Lance. That is a lifestyle. (laughs) Uh, Also didn't know that the Sonny from first to last is actually Skrillex. Skrillex. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. that guy's like wiping his ass with $100 bills. You know what I'm saying? He is, and he and he actually came back and and did like from first to last there for a little bit again, and came sang the old stuff. So yeah. I thought that was pretty rad. Yeah, I mean that's cool. It's always cool to kind of see original dudes coming back to bands and shit. Yeah, Unless the yeah. band was like super shitty, then yeah. uh, <laughs> then I don't want to see that back. But uh, I mean that rarely happens, you know. But right. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it seems like you kind of started like a lot of us did, you know, getting into like those early pop punk bands, you know. And mm-hmm. look, I, I I was a metal kid through and through. Anyone's listened to any episodes in the archives knows that. Uh, I, I there is no pop punk shit in the Augustine house, you know. Only only stuff that scream. But I I've, I've kind of learned to develop a, a liking for it a little bit now at my old bitter age a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I mean, so I mean, you're going to the venue in Memphis, you know, you're kind of seeing. Um, you're kind of getting into music and things like that. Kind of, you know, this might be for you type of stuff. So when's the first time you actually like, uh, got serious, you know, playing guitar and actually started forming a band about what age was that? And, you know, what kind of, what kind of music did you start writing at first? You know, was it the kind of the blink influence stuff or, or what did you find yourself kind of getting diving into as far as writing at an early age? So that happened essentially right after I moved to Nashville because my parents kind of like uprooted uh, me to Nashville and it was like right around my 16th birthday. So um, uh, whenever I got there, you know, I did not have, I had to start from scratch, you know, friends wise. So I, you know, just kind of started going to shows and just, you know, found some people that wanted to play music and I joined this, you know, really terrible screamo band. And I'm not talking like good screamo that's like attack, attack screamo. It's just, you know, that, (laughs) you know, early devil wears Prada influenced, you know, 16, 17 year old stuff with the long hair, but that, that band, I mean, as cringy as it was and how much I hope people don't ever listen to that music ever again, I am thankful because I learned how to get serious and make big band decisions, you know, like, having to kick people out when you know they were uh exhibiting misconduct or anything like that so <laughs> hold on i <clears throat> say exhibiting misconduct when mm-hmm. it comes to, like just being in a band in general mm-hmm. well the, w- there's like a i won't go into specifics but there was this guy that was just a really really shitty person mm-hmm. um but he he had issues you know he was he was like a pathological liar and we didn't really know that and then we kind of started seeing some of his lies and then he would do, he, he would say or do anything to get attention or get a joke. And he was just really, really disrespectful. So after being in a band with him, you know, that was the first time I'd ever had to kick anybody out of a band, which is of, which I've had to do or have had other people quit. And just dealing with that is, it's actually a really emotional thing. If, if everybody's yeah. really, really cares about the band, especially at that time at a young age when you're just like, this is my life. So I feel like when you're taking that element away from somebody for like being a, a bad person, it's really hard to have that kind of conversation. So I am thankful for that band for reasons like that. And also learning just how to write songs with people and go do the recording process. And, you know, I got that embarrassment out of the way and learned a lot from that. I, I think a lot of people go through that embarrassment early on in life, but they're thankful for it because they learn from it and they grow from it and it makes them a better musician ultimately. So as much yeah. as I don't want any of that stuff to surface, I'm like really thankful for it anyways. Well, like here's, here's how you got to look at it. All right. Like, I, I mean, everyone knows this. I used to play in a band a long time ago. I mean, you guys playing bands. I mean, you see this, like yeah. everybody kind of, you know, fantasizes, especially early on, everybody kind of like creates this world where they're like, Oh man, like, like you're in a band. That's so fucking cool, man. And like, it is to a point, but at the same time, if you break it down, you're playing to nobody when you first, it's the most embarrassing thing you could ever do. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing to nobody, especially in like bands that like, you can tell genuinely nobody gives a shit. 
It's the most embarrassing thing ever. That between that and the way my old man used to talk to me when I was a kid, really nothing affects me now as an old person. Because now I'm just yeah. like I've been through I've been through the ringer. All right. I've seen yeah. everything. So I get what you're saying there. Uh, yeah. It is emotional when you when you have to kind of let m- members go and, and things like that. So mm-hmm. I completely get what you're saying there. It's just it, it's a whirlwind for sure, you know. Because absolutely, like you you talked about it a little, you know. When you're a younger band, you're going through that, man. But it's like some bands never get out of that funk, you know. Some bands never get out of like playing in front of 10, 15 kids every night. And it, it it's demoralizing. It, it does get a little, yeah. you know, as you get, you know, a little bit older and things like that. So um, well, what, what makes that like extra demoralizing sometimes is, I mean, I can say this even about Daisy Head or, you know, other bands that, that I'm not in that I've seen this happen to. But it's like, you know, sometimes you can be in a band that <clears throat> are playing in front of like you're playing for like 300 people or something. And then you have a show that same year where you you're out of town and you're playing in front of, you know, five or ten you know uh that i think that can hurt more than like the beginning because at the beginning it's just that's what you're used to but when you uh get accustomed to people giving a shit and then you know you put out a record that people don't vibe with as much or you leave too much of a lag in between tours to where you lose steam and stuff like that that's that's when it hurts the most i think is when you're used to playing in front of people and then suddenly you're not or it's like hmm all right this is the decline. It's, I literally am on the weird. back nine right now. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of shows, it's like a funny thing because like, it just shows how fragile that whole world is. Cause I mean, that could even be mm-hmm. a thing where it's like, you literally have no control over it. Like mm-hmm. y- you could be right now, you could be right now, great things. But since like that, like the world of touring music, is so subjective. Um, yeah. You know, like people, pe- like you could write out, you could release what is your best record for sure. And people should be like, yeah, like <laughs> just kind of like, walk away from your band yeah that's that's a crazy yeah. crazy place to be you put right. your like your whole heart and soul into something mm-hmm. you're like wow this is the best music we've ever written and and uh it's that old you know we talk a lot of wrestling on this show and it's that old tommy mm-hmm. dreamer adage i remember i was watching an ecw um documentary and he said that you could have the best product in the world but if nobody knows where to find it what's it matter and yep. that yep. That's the, that's the stiffest slap of reality I've ever gotten in my life is you can put your heart and soul into something and really think, wow, this is really great. Uh, what we're doing, you know, whether it's music or anything else, if people don't give a shit, man. You can't make them give a shit, you know? Yeah. So it, it's, it, it's definitely a, uh, it's definitely one of those games where it's like, oh man, you're kind of going back and forth a little bit. But, uh, I just thought it was an interesting point you brought up about, you know, when you when you're first starting out and, and and you're playing in front of nobody but these people even you know I still talk to people you know that that just find out about the band that I was in you know next week or or last week or whatever and, right and, right yeah and they, they ask about everything that kind of went on and it's just like dude you have no idea like it, it's not as being a rock star isn't as glamorous as you know people kind of pipe it up to me now I've never been on a level where I'm touring in a bus and shit and making hundreds of thousands of dollars a night, but you know, uh, but, yeah, anyway. but even though, even those people are going through it, you know, they're going yeah. through their own struggles. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, the, uh, I'm, I won't, you know, drop any names or anything, but I have heard and have had friends that are, have been at that level. And it's, you know, it, that's on some tours, it seems like their depression is just as strong as mine, who is still touring, you know, just, in a van sleeping in Walmart parking lots, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. that, that, that line isn't really drawn anywhere. 
And I mean, yeah. shit, like rock stars, they're, you know, they have to deal with the most uh, mental illness ever because of the pedestal they're on. So oh, not saying like, like oh, poor them or anything. <clears throat> yeah. So just, uh, just yeah. being in that industry, I think it can be painful no matter what level you're at. Yeah. Um, we actually talked about it with John who was in, who's in comrades and he used to be in life in your way and stuff. And, uh, we were actually talking with him, you know, a few episodes in the archives ago, you should go listen to it right now, but, uh, yeah, we were actually episode after this episode, but yeah. no, right now, yeah, right while you're talking, I'm just off. come back to this. <laughs> yeah, we, John and, uh, you know, he was actually mentioning something similar. Obviously he's in life in your way. Solid States putting him kind of, you know, they, they signed him. They said, you guys are going to be the next under oath. They thought Life in Your Way's record was going to be, you know, the next, they're only chasing safety and things like that. It mm-hmm. kind of underperforms, you know, mm-hmm. becomes a cult classic now, one of my favorite records of all time. But, like, uh, but it just goes to show you. And then he said that both guitar players quit, and then they found two other guys, but then they were thinking, we can't follow that up. We mm-hmm. can't follow Waking Giants up. So, just the undying pressure that a lot of bands go through just writing new music and following up a record that kind of pops off, you know, you have a record that pops off and then you can't follow that up with stuff that, and that's what separates the great bands from the good bands is Mm -hmm. bands consistently put out um, good material. I mean, look, I'm not the biggest fan of August Burns Red, but they've been doing it 15 years, nonstop, you know, and, and just, so they're doing something right. So, uh, you know, when we talk about stuff like that, I, I think it's an interesting aspect because we've seen it at its most low level, finite level. And a lot of the bands that we look up to now, a lot of the bands that they started at that level, believe it or not, you know, right. there's videos of yeah. Killswitch and Gage playing pool halls in front of nobody, <coughs> you know, so it's, it, it's, yeah. it's definitely there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Mike, I didn't mean to go, we didn't mean to go off like kind of track there but uh no but i mean, okay. yeah, I, I mean i love tangents i'm all about it <laughs> yeah that's what we do here for sure also, I, mean, ask I, I, I do have to say too that that life in your way record is incredible i yeah. loved that record when i was younger i haven't listened to it in a long time but man i just remember it being very incredibly written i'm gonna revisit oh, I, it yeah um i remember when we were talking to john a few weeks ago uh mm-hmm. it was surreal to me uh, that he had played drums on a record that was so monumental to me. Um, right. And it right. was just, I mean, cause like you listen to those songs and you, and you just listen to like the drum parts and stuff. And you're just like, God damn dude. Like I talked to this guy and he was sitting there in 2007. I wasn't even graduated high school yet when that CD came out, you know, mm-hmm. I was still in high school and shit. And just talking to somebody like that, like to me, I mean, those are, those are small little milestones to me that, that are just so fucking cool because life in your way was always one of those bands that really kind of just, they were the first kind of melodic hardcore band I ever got into. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the first one that showed that like, like you can play melodic and be heavy at the same time. I mean, they were never yeah. really heavy, but uh, they were definitely one of those bands. So, right. um, yeah. yeah, but uh, so you're, you're forming this band, and you're kind of like attack, attack kind of style. Um, when is the idea of Daisy Head first kind of formed uh, within that? Like, uh, what's the first time you ever, what, what eventually became Daisy Head? What were like the first early steps of that? So that came 
pretty like significantly later in my life. So that was kind of my first band that I was writing with. And then um, I played in kind of like a punk hardcore band around Nashville that um, actually had a little bit of notoriety before I joined. And um, the uh, the sitting in they we got like a new singer. The other one just decided not he didn't want to do it anymore. So he ended he ended up uh, being able to generate some clout. He was like a really really cool vocalist, and he was also a really good drummer. So we just kind of came in and took over the drumming and all the vocals and all that stuff. And I learned a lot from, of songwriting from him. So, but I'm not like a big, I'm not meant to be in a hardcore band. I really enjoyed it and it was a lot of fun. Um, but I'm just meant to be in like a rock project. I would like to play heavy music again, but at, at that time it was just more of kind of like, this is the only thing I have going on. So I started my own indie band while doing that, which is kind of like a pre Daisy head kind of thing. You know, I did that for fun for a little bit. And then uh, there were these other guys in another hardcore band that my hardcore band would play with that said, hey, we're starting like a rock side project. Do you want to sing for it? So that is how Daisy Head started. So that was literally just a project for fun. It was just a side project for both of us. And we went and recorded this EP with um, Blake Martin from A Plea for Purging. And he, yeah, he made it sound incredible. And we just like posted it on Bandcamp, like what's like somebody's label kind of thing. And then we got hit up by multiple labels, one of them being No Sleep. Uh, so it was Spartan and No Sleep. They found us just just from our just posting it on Bandcamp and Facebook. Man, and stuff. that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it was literally just supposed to be for fun. It was like the first four. It was like the first like full EP I had written, you know, with a band that was a rock thing that I was singing for. Um, so yeah, then we that's when we took it serious is when we started getting hitting it hit up by labels, because at that point we were like, oh my god record labels we made it and we're gonna go on tour and it's gonna be sick which is <laughs> as as both of you know is not how it works <laughs> uh, not even not even in the slightest like not right. even you know that you get into it and you're like oh okay yeah man we're gonna go on tour and i can remember vividly the first tour i was ever gonna go on i thought it was so fucking cool i was like man we are so <laughs> we're so like, this is so cool, man. We're so much better than all these other bands. You get to that first date. Nobody's fucking there. You're sweating your ass off. You're sleeping in a van with a bunch of dudes that you have average friendships with, I guess, you know, because like one of the first rules of playing in a band I ever heard early on was, uh, one of the first rules. So the wisest piece of advice ever got never start a band with people you were friends with before the band, because that, is normally disaster. And luckily I, I lucked out where I, all the dudes that I was in a band with early on, uh, weren't my friends like before the band. So, um, oh, did you find, yeah. Did you find kind of that too, where like, you know, the guys that you were kind of playing with weren't really your friends. You just met them, you know, kind of through mutual people and, uh, or were they your friends for a long time? It was half and half. I, I, Daisy Head's one of those bands that has just like, if, if we had a Wikipedia page, the, the members section would be you know half of the entire uh page it's we've there's been a lot of people in daisy head in and out and sometimes it was just i did meet them when they like auditioned for daisy head and came in to play or like i barely knew them and they saw a facebook post i there were literally times like it would be like two weeks before a tour be like hey does anybody want to go to california 
or something like on my Facebook, you know, and I, <laughs> somebody would just like comment with like a little wave emoji. Literally, that's that's how I became like good buddies with this one guy that did a couple of tours with us. I literally just posted online and said, hey, does anybody want to tour out to California, LOL. And, you know, he just literally did the wave emoji. And when he came on that tour with us, he ended up playing bass on that tour. And I just, I love him to death and I will love him for the rest of my life. He's just the coolest guy to be on the road with. Um, but you know, to your, to your point of how it is interacting with others in a van, in those tough situations at those shitty shows, I mean, it's, it's just, when you put yourself out there, it brings out the worst in anyone. So there were people that were my best friends because of our camaraderie that we had. There were certain times to where we could really, um, initiate a stronger friendship because of those struggles, but then other times it really, really pulled us apart. Um, and I can gladly say through all of the member changes and everything that I've ever had with Daisy head or, uh, any bands before, uh, to, to that matter is, uh, I can still consider each of them a friend. So, um, there is, there is a way to come back from that, but yeah, it's, it's really hard. Like people definitely saw the worst in me and think, you know, I did and said things I had to apologize for because, you know, when you're away from home for, five weeks straight and your van's breaking down or the shows aren't going the way you want, or your band is not worth the thousands of dollars of investment you just put into it. It can really, really just make you a person that nobody wants to fucking be around. So yeah, when there's five it's people a, in one van that nobody wants to be around, it's, it's just like a lose, lose situation across the mm. board. Yeah, it definitely, it's definitely uh you're right. It brings out the worst in people a lot of times because you, being in a band is kind of like owning a car. It's the worst investment you'll ever make. Mm -hmm. um, you'll never see any return from being in a band. And I say that I say that as somebody that has done it. I'm saying that it, to two people that are doing it currently. You'll never mm -hmm. make the money back that you put into it. It's just right, it's, right. Not, it's a losing proposition. And then you get into labels and things like that, and they start taking cuts of your money. And then, so you really never really come out on top uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to being in a band. You just, that's what separates people that love it and people that don't love it. Can mm -hmm. you survive those five weeks? You know, there were times when, when We The Gather was on the road for, you know, I think there was one tour we did 62 days straight where without coming oh home. Oh, God. That's and awful. that really, that really, um, it tests your will because when mm -hmm. you're in California and you've lived in Pennsylvania your whole life, that's, it might as well be a fucking universal way, bro. Might as well be, yeah. you know, might as well be on Mars because nobody's yeah. going to come help you if you would break down. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned no sleep. So tell us a little bit about that. You know, Daisy head kind of gets started a little bit. Uh, no sleep comes a knocking. Um, what was your first interaction like with those guys? Uh, did you really, like what they were vibing on early on and, and was that transition pretty smooth all around so um when we put out that ep essentially ourselves with some friends um we got hit up by no sleep and spartan records uh spartan records is this really really cool seattle-based label um the the owner actually used to work for tooth and nail solid state back when like MXPX was, you know, doing stuff with them. And he worked with some really, really cool bands back then. So at the time we, we got contacted by both of them around the same time. And when no sleep hit us up, that was more of like, Hey, you know, what do you guys got going on in the future? Cool. Well, we'll be watching. 
Um, so we actually re-released that first EP through Spartan because Spartan was like, hey, let's do this shit. I want to put out this EP. Like he record. really, really, yeah, he really, really believed in us and, and we're still buddies to this day. Um, we just did that one EP with them. Um, but yeah, so whenever that happened, that's, that's when uh, we kind of started playing shows out of town and stuff and just really trying to promote ourselves because we wanted no sleep bad i especially because that was when um balance of composure and into it over it and law dispute and some other bands that i was really really into were on that label and i was i was young enough to think that you know just because we would sign to that label that we were immediately going to be big um Mm -hmm. but you know on top of that i wanted my record to be right next to my favorite bands in the whole entire world you know or whatever on their website and all that stuff um so that's when we really, really started trying to push ourselves and go out of town and show that we're, you know, worth signing. And then No Sleep ended up picking us up. So that was, it ended up being really smooth because um, if it wasn't for No Sleep, we would have stayed with Spartan. And that was honestly a tough choice because just John is a really, really cool guy who really believed in us and still does. He's just, we're, we, we still talk and stuff. So, um, you know, that was kind of a tough decision, but you know, no sleep was a dream of mine and he understood that too. So we went on and it was a pretty smooth transition that everybody was very, very kind. And we played the day that we announced that we were on no sleep was uh, our first show that we ever played with balance and composure. So that was literally just like the best day of my entire life. That was my <laughs> dream come true. Yeah. That'd like, be a good day. To this, <laughs> to, to this day, uh, it's like top three best days of my entire existence. That's um, so you know, because, uh, Cause John, their singer came up to me. I was like, Hey man, welcome to the family. That kind of stuff. It was just, you know, it was, it was a big deal. It, it felt like a big win. I felt like that was a big peak for me. So, mm-hmm. you know, every, yeah, it was a really cool transition. Honestly, it just, it, it felt for the first time in my life, I felt cool and I felt like cool things were happening to me. So, um, you know, Chris from no sleep and, and other guys that were on the team at the time really, uh, pumped confidence into a, a bunch of like really not confidence dudes so yeah. it, it was a great just, you know from the get-go and even all the way till now like chris has just been really really good to me and really supportive of my music and essentially is on board to do whatever i'm willing to do regardless mm. of how much we're producing for him which mm. is like which honestly just makes the overall like <clears throat> speaking from like a um like a business thing just makes the product that much better for him i'm sure because the less stress you feel, the better you're going to create. And then in turn, he gets a better record for. So it's like, obviously right. like yeah. having that personal relationship is sick, but the having a, a, a healthy enough relationship like that is going to make the, you know, the quote unquote business side of it thrive as well. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it keeps me uh, interested in the industry that I really, really am not a fan of right now because it, mm-hmm. it just shows that there are still people that are, um, doing things because they believe in it, not because mm-hmm. they're looking right at the profit margins. Yeah. And it's hard. It, music is one of those things. It's, it's the most infuriating thing you could ever, because it has the peaks and valleys that come with playing music are unlike pretty much anything else, because mm-hmm. you're right. When you sign that deal, when you when you get that recognition you're looking for, you put out a record that's really solid. You get to play with these bands that you've looked up to for the longest time. 
But then again, man, you realize, man, I'm not even, we're not even really moving the needle outside our hometown. You know, although we're yeah. playing all, you know, big shows here and there, you know, outside of like this tri-state area or whatever, you know, we're not really gaining the traction that we want to. Then you're playing to five, 10 people a night and you're like, God damn son. Like, it's like, and it, it, it plays with you a lot. And, and mental illness is something that, uh, you know, you brought up a little bit earlier and it's something that I think is at the forefront of a lot of uh, people's minds, especially nowadays, but playing music is a, is a good way to start fucking with your mind, man. Uh, big time. Because again, you know, you, you, you think you're putting out the best material you've ever come up with, but then people just seem like they just don't give a shit sometimes. And it's, it can be a, a real high and a real bummer at the same time. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a wild yeah, ride. Well, I've said this on a on, on another podcast as well, so I'm not trying to like you know repeat myself too much. But um, the a big reason why I don't play as much is because you know at, at first when I started Daisy Head, or uh, when when I got really serious about Daisy Head, it became my uh, it became my source of like getting rid of stress and getting my it helped, it used to help my mental illness and then it became the source. So it's, it's interesting whenever, you know, you use your lyrics and your music and, you know, going out there and putting everything into music. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be, you know, freeing you from that agony and that pain. That's, that's why it's beautiful. Um, but then, you know, later on, it's like, I literally ended up writing songs about how being in a band sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, 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 the irony in that is so daunting and uh, people that don't tour or haven't toured or people that just don't understand what the music industry is outside of, you know, what they're peddled on the radio and shit. Like they don't see what we do to ourselves just to try and have that feeling, you know? So yeah. it's, uh, it, it's a really, really daunting thing to, you know, music is supposed to be your release from from depression, but when it becomes the source, and you feel like there's nothing else you can turn to, you know, it's it's really heartbreaking, and it makes you, or me at least, I can't speak for everyone, but it made me really jaded toward music and the industry, and uh, I I still am, you know, to a certain degree, admittedly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's definitely it's it's definitely a love hate relationship a lot of people have with it because of those things you just outlined you know you, you're always chasing that you're always chasing something that never seems to come full circle you know for some bands you might you know and and some bands you might uh you might think that uh you know oh I'm pretty comfortable with where we're at and things like that uh but at the same time you know you're never really I, I heard this once and it, it's always stuck with me. The second you're, the second that you're happy with something, you should stop doing it. You should always try to, you know, be better and you should always try to be building on, you know, the next thing, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, as far as that goes, I mean, you guys signed to no sleep. Uh, the first record on no sleep, was it the smallest light? Was that the first record on no sleep? That was, but we did, we did a split with a band called have mercy first. So mm. it, we just did, we just went back to, to Blake from plea and recorded a couple more songs. Uh, just to, we did those to do a split with the band from Memphis that ended up breaking up and, you know, uh, I love them and they're homies and everything, but they were a really small band just like us. So when they broke up, we just had these two songs that were just like, uh, okay, what are we going to do with these now? 
So then Chris from No Sleep started pitching to people and we landed Have Mercy, who was much bigger than us at the time. So hmm. that was a really good push for us. But our first full record was the smallest light that we recorded with Tate Mercer in Nashville. Oh, that, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, take us through that process. Um, when you guys kind of went, uh, you know, look, there's 11 songs on the record. Um, mm-hmm. you know, some of these, obviously, uh, some songs feel a little bit different than others. Take us through the writing process of the smallest letter the best you can, because it was, you know, 2015 is five years ago. But um, right. so, like, just kind of take us through that writing process. Like, did you have a lot of the songs already kind of conceptualized for a full length? Did you guys just kind of start from scratch on the full length? Like, how did that whole process and developing the smallest light like kind of start? So this was um, way different than any other writing process we ever did. Because it was my first full-length record I was ever going to record, um, I didn't really know how to go into it that much. But everybody that was in the band at that time, it, it was very, very much from scratch. So there would be things that I would bring to the table and then things that Curtis, our old guitar player, would bring to the table. And even our bass player, Zach, at the time, like he just had uh, him and our drummer, Chad. We just all just had all these ideas and we all just fed off of each other kind of thing. Later on, it ended up being to where I would have most of our structure already written out and then people would kind of add on top of that. But for The Smallest Light, that is how it was with that crew at the time, which was really cool. I, I was kind of bummed that I didn't get to do that as much later on, um, you know, because I just, you know, people were quitting or whatever uh weren't able to be a part of the band whenever it came time to writing the record that you know we were uh, on a contract to put out and stuff like that so um but everybody was really really excited and we were all just like oh my god this is all of our first full-length record so we put everything into it we wrote that record in in like four different practice spaces over like six months or so we even went and uh, rented like a cabin up in Kentucky for a few days to go just get away and be really, really serious about it. And that's the first time any of us had really put that much stock into writing a record, you know, cause mm. we, it was our first full length on no sleep and we wanted to impress everyone that we were essentially standing beside at the time. You know, we felt like there was a lot at stake there. So yeah, you don't want to feel like that little yeah, brother. We, you want to feel like that, like, okay, like we deserve to be here. Like we should be here. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, we we were the rookies on the label. We wanted to prove ourselves. Yeah, exactly. So, like you want to, you want to like stand up against you know some of the mainstays on the label, just because like, who knows, man? Like you put out a solid first effort. You know, that's really, and that's where I think a lot of bands kind of falter at times. Uh, is their first record out of the gate? Because most of the time, when when bands do that, you know, they've had these songs written for two years or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. and they're just now putting it, you know, in a studio environment. Uh, obviously, it's not what happened with you guys, but I mean, that's that's definitely a common occurrence that <clears> happened. <throat> guys have been sitting on songs for years and years and years, um, and finally get to put it on a record. So, did you guys yeah. feel that kind of pressure? Like you, you know, Shane alluded to it a little bit. Like, did you guys feel that kind of pressure to be like, we want to be, you know? at the top of the label rather than just being at the bottom or was that not even in the thought process when you were writing the smallest light? We weren't, that pressure wasn't forced on us, but we forced it on ourselves and and me, especially that's just the kind of person I am, you know? And, um, I, I mean, I, 
like I said, I felt very, very lucky to be alongside some of these artists that I was literally obsessed with. Like I had a balance of compo- I had a balance of composure tattoo before we got signed to the same label as them. <laughs> so, and, and like our, our earlier stuff definitely was very heavily influenced with them. Like that was the biggest uh, like shit talk we got on the internet was people saying like, "Cool, another balance composure ripoff band or whatever." Um, so uh that there was a lot of pressure for me just because i wanted to tour with those bands and i wanted them to like me and i wanted uh you know the label to like us and want to put more stock in you know into us and really push us it was just uh, it felt like okay this is our time to shine we really got to go for it kind of thing Mm. so yeah that that pressure was there but nobody from the label or any of those bands ever made us feel that way you know Everybody was very cool and very accepting. Um, and we did get to do some cool stuff and play with some cool bands and around that time. So, um, yeah, the pressure was there, but it was not forced. Oh, that's, that's always good. Cause a lot of times when you have like the label types and such and, and no sleep is a, is a pretty, it's, it's, I would call it like a mid major label. You know, they do have some bigger bands like balance and composure, but it seems like a lot of their roster is comprised of maybe you know some regional touring acts and things like that so where no sleep you know might not be the biggest label in the world obviously they have expectations like every other label you know things like that so it's kind of nice to hear when labels don't have that uh they don't go in there and be like hey we want this type of song because that's what you get when you get on bigger labels is they'll be like oh man we need a song for like active rock radio and it's like Mm -hmm. well i mean come on man like i'm not just gonna write a song just to write a song you know like these songs are meant to feel something and that's that's what i like about a band like daisy head is is you can really feel the like the passion coming through the music which is you know one of the things that i look for in a band is is typically within the first 10 to 15 seconds of a new band that i'm listening to Within the first 10 to 15 seconds, I can actually get a feel of how authentic it is. Mm-hmm. And it makes mm. me makes me want to listen to it or not listen to it a little bit more. You know, mm. because you're like, wow, like these guys, I'm into super sad music. Like I love sad music. Bands like Brand New and and nowadays it's like Movement Citizen, things like that. Like I love bands like that because they make mm-hmm. me feel, they make me feel like man, like I'm not alone when I feel stuff like that. So um, as far as writing the lyrics uh, to the smallest light, like uh, did you kind of have that in mind? Like uh, I'm sure you're the primary lyric writer, I would assume. Um, Mm -hmm. When you, when you're writing lyrics, do you kind of want to capture, you know, those feelings that, that you felt going into that or, you know, as you kind of write more songs in the record, they, the lyrics just kind of form the way that they are. Like, how personal is lyric writing to you when it comes to writing uh, a lot of these songs? Oh, I, I mean, a thousand percent. Uh, I will say, you know, in the earlier days, like you mentioned Citizen, that has been, they've been one of my favorite bands for a really long time. Actually, Daisy Head's first show was with Citizen, and this is before they blew up. This is before Youth came out. So mm. there was probably um, like, I don't know, 25 people at that show and it was a great show great locals too it was was promoted well you know there there wasn't anything wrong with it It it's just nobody knew any of those bands at the time including Mm -hmm. citizens so i uh you know bands like that and other bands on no sleep they kind of showed me that you can you know all those negative 
and sad feelings that you have or what you go through in relationships and friendships and stuff with your parents and stuff, you can put that into music. So whenever that's what made me want to, you know, write songs like that, it is mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. I finally have an outlet. Yeah. Um, so I always, always really, really went for it. There, there are only a few songs that I have that don't really have much emotional depth to them, you know, because I just wanted to write a song or because I liked the melodies and the words that came to my head. It, you know, unrelated to any sadness or depression or anxiety. But yeah, if if you listen through a, a lot of my music, it's it is the you know the lyrics are very you know melancholy and and very uh, you know a lot of it's really negative. But it just feels like a purge to me, you mm -hmm. know. So I try. I have felt guilty about it at times. You know, there have been times where I go back and listen through and it's like, bro, what are you actually whining about? Like, shut up. <laughs> But, you know, but at the same time, you know, mental illness is a real thing. And I, and I have it. I have anxiety and depression issues. And I have become a better person because I've been able to be open about it. And people have told me um, that they've related to songs of mine and they've related to feelings that I've had and stuff. And that's such a cool thing, you know, to be, uh, you know, 2000 miles away from home and some random person come up to you and be like, you know, this song saved my life or whatever, or say something like this lyric, you know, resonated with me so hard kind of thing. That's just what I've always kind of built on. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it's, there's, it's very much, you know, driven on, uh, there's definitely some self-deprecation in my music. And um, sometimes I'm a little embarrassed by it, but then when I think of the grand scheme, it's great to purge that stuff and it's great to relate to other people because, you know, there are bands that do uh, keep people grounded and keep people feeling like you said, uh, when you listen to bands like movements and stuff like that. Oh my gosh. Movements is a great, great, great example of that, of uh, the way that Pat puts words into melodies and stuff. There's no way you don't feel that, you know, mm -hmm. if, if there's a way you can portray it to where people legitimately just feel it and there's like, Oh my God. And it puts you back in that negative feeling you had during a breakup or an emotional breakdown you had, but uh, in a good way to where it's just like, there are people that are creating art that I love that feel the same way I do. That's a beautiful yeah. thing. One of my, one of my biggest pet peeves and, and that's been coming kind of forward a little bit more uh, recently. You know, I, when you get on Twitter and you start going down that little that, that rabbit hole, you know, <laughs> you see some shit that kind of upsets you. And uh, mm -hmm. lately there's been this big, like kind of, there's been this kind of whirlwind about like bands should stop writing sad music. They should start writing music. That's more positive. And, and to me that feels as, as inauthentic as you can be yeah. about, about anything. Um, I think that when bands put out sad music and you're getting tired of bands, you know, being melancholy and things like that, that's the state of the world right now, man, because we're, yeah. all, we're all younger guys. Look, and I'll say this till it, I'll say this until I'm blue in the face, man. Being our age now is more difficult than it's ever been in history ever. Yeah. Yeah, because, absolutely. because look, the, the, the price of, you know, and I can go into this and this isn't, you know, this isn't a political thing, but like, you know, the cost of living has gone up and the wages haven't, you know? Mm -hmm. So guys mm -hmm. like us, 
guys in our age bracket, you know, the, the quote unquote, do nothing millennials, you know, <laughs> we're the ones, you know, really holding the bag for years and years and years of just, you know, shit going off the rails, you know? So we're standing there holding the bag. So when people say, you know, music shouldn't be as melancholy, you should write positive. Look, man, that's the state of the world that we're in right now. You know, yeah, absolutely. All of us are all going through the same thing. And I'm, I'm so excited and happy that mental illness is now at a forefront. Uh, Cause I think I suffer from the same things you do, Mike. And I'm sure Shane does too. A lot of people our age suffer from it, man. It's went undiagnosed for a long time. You know, absolutely. People, yeah. People just all, oh, you know, keep your head up or whatever. That's bullshit, man. We should all be able to talk about what we're going through and things like that. So it's really refreshing to hear you, mm-hmm. hear you say that for sure. Well, oh yeah, I mean, uh, vice versa. It's cool. It's cool hearing you say that you're glad it's at the forefront because I, I am also like the the last EP that Daisy Head has put out has just been really about mental health awareness and stuff like that, and I'm glad people are able to talk about it now. And there are, you know, uh, if people want to go listen to like a, if if they want a band that's putting out happy music, there are those bands out there. Just go listen to those bands because bands like yeah, movements and it's not hard to find and, them. And my band. <laughs> Yeah, but bands like us, if, if we we're putting you know our heart on our sleeve, that's just that's how we know how to do it. So if you can't get on board with that, literally just go somewhere else. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's millions of other you know forms of art, and I feel like to me, um, and I know Shane agrees agrees with me on this. We, we've had tons of discussions about this. Um, I think like melancholy and like like sad stuff is, is really where an artist really kind of finds themselves um, fine, you know, because it's, it's easy to kind of be like, uh, I'm just going to look on the bright side of things. But when you really kind of look at, at kind of the rain clouds, if you will, uh, it's really cool to be able to kind of, you know, and, and not all of us want to do that. You know, not all of us kind of want to be in that forefront. Not all of us want to think about, everything that we're going through. But, but again, you know, people our age, man, like you just, you see it all the time. You know, I, it's hard to walk up to somebody and not, you know, not have them tell you, you know, I'm suffering from, from a lot, a lot of pent up shit, you know, from when we were kids again, you know, cause it's, mm-hmm. I feel like we're the in-between generation, you know, we, we got that generation that like that old school mentality, but we're also like in the new school mentality. So we're right in the center and it's, uh, it's an interesting time for music. It's an interesting time for a lot of stuff. So, um, yeah, kind of, I think like kind of regarding all of that too. Um, Mike, I feel like we, like I got to see kind of a cool, um, like chain of development with you regarding a lot of that, where it's like, where I got to kind of see that shift from like, um, from like more of a, maybe like a, it controls you to you control it sort of thing. I don't know if that makes sense, yeah. but, um, no, no. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. And so I think that was a really, really cool thing to watch because I feel like a lot of, not a lot of people get to that point, not in a bad way. Yeah. So obviously that's, that's right. a battle for sure. But like, mm-hmm. um, so I guess like how, like through, to, like, because you know, all this, there's, I feel like it was 50, 50 where part of you was touring during this, t- during that journey. And part of you wasn't, um, mm-hmm. so I guess kind of like take us through, like I'm sure that was that was a tan- like that was a uh um that was an intentional thought like an intentional thing to try and accomplish. So I guess kind of take us through how how that looked for you. 
I mean, so, um, Lance, I'm not sure if you know, like, exactly how Shane and I met, but, uh, Shane and I met on a, on a Daisy Head, uh, Tiger Wine tour. It was a, it was a five week, um, record release tour that we were doing and we had Tiger Wine and Northbound on the East Coast and we had, uh, Sundressed and Fossil Youth on the West Coast. So, um, the way that I met Shane, uh, you know, we showed up on this tour and we, our van broke down as we were leaving the driveway. So also this is our, uh, our second LP on No Sleep. And this is kind of like a make it or break it kind of record, not a, we want to impress people. This is more like, okay, if this isn't successful, we're doomed kind of thing. <laughs> so we put a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot into it. And you know, we're leaving for this record release tour. We lost our management the day we announced that tour and the record. Then we lost our booking agent who booked this entire tour that Daisy Head and Tiger Wine did together. So we were down and out already. And then the van broke down as we're leaving the driveway. So we had to borrow my dad's Suburban and take half of our gear. And essentially we had to borrow a ton of gear from Tiger Wine. So that's essentially how Shane and I met. So anyways, around that time is when my mental health started to deteriorate through touring and just, you know, putting everything into this band because the band was my identity, you know, for a lot of my life to where it's just, I'm putting everything into this, uh, everything I have of putting relationships on hold, like all kinds of stuff. Um, so that's just when it got really hard for me, whenever we, you know, I didn't feel like we were on an upward slope. I mean, we had some great shows on that tour, you know, mm -hmm. it was a really fun tour and, I loved everybody in Tiger Wine. I'm still friends with everybody in that band. Same thing with like the Northbound crew. Um, I'm thankful for those friendships, but I've had to, I don't think I needed to, but I just felt like I wanted to, but I've apologized to the Tiger Wine crew and other bands that I toured with at that time. Because I wasn't which, was one of the, which was one of the, like, it was, it was a really, really cool moment. I like remember us like eating like in Nashville, but like when you, whenever you came out and saw us and I remember mm -hmm. us all being like, for what? Like, because <laughs> we're just like, right. we were just like so oblivious to everything on, like on that tour. Um, but yeah, anyway, continue. Right. I, I guess I put on a face enough, you know, around you guys. <laughs> I, I def, I mean, everybody in Daisy had definitely, you know, so, we all saw the worst in each other then, like our mm -hmm. really deepest sadness in, within what we were doing. But yeah, I mean, I just, I, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was enjoying it when I should have been, you know, because things are going wrong. But I should have been enjoying it. We're out of town playing music. I'm with really cool people and stuff. But whenever I realize it's like this is the best thing I can do with my life, and I'm still not feeling, you know, happy about it, that was uh, that was when kind of like my mental health journey started. And mm. you know, we we did that tour, and then we did, you know, a, a, we did a few more after that. Just really went for it. Really went into the red because the van issues. That's a big thing, honestly. Just a van can really add 10 times more yeah. stress to your band regardless of how yeah. well you're doing because 100%. we were doing we were doing tours where we should have been in the green and we were in the red just because of our van troubles you know it was mm. we had good agents helping all that stuff so merch sales weren't bad either but you know when you're when you're down and out it's like even when you're at your best you don't know it so you know i felt like i wasn't fully enjoying the time with them so that's why i felt the need to apologize i'm glad that you guys didn't really see it but um, I look back at it as good times, but at the time I was miserable. And that's what, yeah. that's kind of lame. So whenever that was kind of hitting me, that's when I decided it was right after we toured Europe <laughs> because that was just like, okay, this is the Hail Mary of 
redemption for us. And by the time that that European tour was over, I was the only person left in the band because everyone was just like, I can't do this anymore. So that's when I decided to kind of take a step uh, back from touring and really, really being serious about Daisy Head and finding identity outside of that. So it, it took a lot of uh, kind of cheap shots from the universe at my nuts to put me to that place, but I'm so glad it did because the, those mental health issues were there before the band too. And for a while it was my escape. And like I said before, then it became the source again. So that's when I realized it's just like, I can't have other things make me feel better. I need to get down to the actual source of what's going on in my head and um, really get down to the study of it. So that's when I started going to therapy and really um, like digesting all of my feelings and my thoughts at, the, at those times. And uh, I tried to learn and teach others uh, that, you know, you can be doing, you can be living your dream and still just not be feeling good. So was, was there, do you remember like a breaking point moment where you're like, where you can like kind of pinpoint where that fork in the road moment happened where you're like, Oh, okay. Like I'm going to, I'm going to like, we're going to grab the bull, like the bull by the horns here. Do you like, do you remember it, where, like when that moment was? Yeah, it was when, uh, it was when we, had to announce that our tour with transit was canceled. So mm. I don't know if you guys uh, listen to transit at all, but that is one of my favorite bands of all time, like till death. And uh, we got on this somehow got on this tour in Europe with them. And it had been announced. It was like, you know, that was my first big massive tour announcement. And um, they ended up breaking up, you know, so they canceled the tour and that was like my first big set of bad news. And then it just seemed like kind of everything went downhill from there. Because after that was when we recorded In Case You Missed It, which was the, the album that we toured together on. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, it, it things seemed well, you know, up until right after that tour was fully booked. It was like, okay, cool. We have solid management. We have a full U.S. tour booked and we're good to go. And then the, the manager that we had had to drop us because his company was making cutbacks. And then we lost our agent because of that. So it was just all of those, like, you know, um, there were a lot of forks in the road that really, really made me feel it. You know, we kept trying to, you know, juke around them and keep going. But, you know, once, once it just keeps stacking up, that's when, you know, we kind of started resenting each other. And when we don't have each other, we have nothing left. So yeah. that's kind of how that's, that started. That's something I think gets overlooked a lot of the time is, when you when you're at a band like in how how long it takes to really you know quote unquote break a band it takes a while like it's not mm -hmm. not everybody has overnight success where oh yeah i just happen to be listening to your record you know here's a you know rec you know some of these bands are at it three four five years before they're even like on a level where they feel comfortable with it so i think it's a it's a pretty important point that, that you brought up about how when you're trying to like make a band what it is, it consumes a lot of your early years. It mm -hmm. consumes a lot. And that's your only identity. That is like mm -hmm. just being in this band was the only thing that, I mean, that you knew that, that any of us knew, you know, mm -hmm. for my early twenties, I was in a band for, you know, probably from 20 to 27 years old, you know? Right, so for right. I'll never have those, those twenties back where yeah. I spent all this time putting, you know, I just wanted to, do something that was cool, something different, you know, and you're right. You mentioned it earlier, man. Like 
it puts strains on relationships. It does, you know, a, you put a lot of your life on hold for this. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. Another point that I pe- think people just gloss over a lot of the time is how much of your life you put on hold to, to, you know, and, and you can say that for any aspect, any successful person, I'm sure that, uh, when it comes down to it, they put a lot of their life on hold. So, mm-hmm. um, just hearing you say that, I mean, it really resonates with me just because like, and, and people that haven't been in a band and I'm, I'm sure it might not, you know, seem like that to them, but like to, to somebody that's lived it, man, I, I completely understand it. So it, it's right. Yeah. It's definitely not lost on me in that aspect. So, yeah. Yeah. But, it's good uh, to talk about this stuff. It always yeah, is. Absolutely. So, uh, but you mentioned the, uh, the record that you did that for it in case you missed it. Uh, the follow-up to the smallest light. Um, did you notice that the writing process for that record was a little bit different or was it kind of the same thing? Uh, did you have some revolving members around that time? Like, like kind of take us into uh, a snapshot of what was going on in the band uh, during the recording of that record. Yeah, that was when um, there were multiple people that were in the band at the time had to back out because they weren't able to, you know, tour as much as we wanted to, you know, we were really going to go for it. So, at, so in case you missed, it was mostly written by um the drummer that ended up being the drummer for the longest time his name is john taylor that's who shane knows Mm -hmm. um he he it was essentially me and him throughout the entire writing process at that time and we we had our bass player zach as well who was uh you know he was able to write on top of what we were writing but because we didn't have another like guitar player it wasn't a very collaborative thing so i was just like okay we don't have another guitar player i'm just gonna have to really cater this around my vocals so i was just writing really basic stuff and i and i figured by the time we got into the studio um because we were we recorded that record with jay moss from defeater and he's a he's an incredible songwriter an incredible guitar player so i figured you know by the time we got there that would help us out a lot and then uh josh parks from intuit over it ended up coming and co-producing that record and helping us write guitar stuff, as well as Hart from the band that I manage, Early Humans, he was there too. So I knew that there were going to be people later in the game. So essentially me and John Taylor were just having to write as much content that we felt would be able to uh, layer on top of and still be catchy. Uh, I was like, okay, this is going to be a very vocal-driven record. So if you go through ever and like listen to that entire record, mm. I'm proud of it because uh, it, it was it was a... I felt like it was a triumph for us to even follow through with it with all of the obstacles we had. I never would have guessed that listening through to that record. That's insane. Well, I I would like encourage you to listen to it again and just know, just you can tell it's not very guitar driven. Like there's Mm -hmm. some little like yellow card leads that I wrote and help that I got from other people. But I mean that I, I just was relying on my own vocals and lyrics at the time, which was very, very stressful for me. So it was, it was hard. One of the things I have to ask about this record, and you alluded to on the tour that we were on with you guys, where you said uh-huh. Common Ground was going to be instrumental. Right. What, like, what, where, where was the moment that that song, like, you know, where, where the, the tone of that song changed? Where it's like, okay, like, this is going to kind of go from, like, pretty, like, interlude thing to being, like, that, that was one of the singles for the record, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it and and I think it's uh, currently my favorite song on that record. I think it's the the, the most well written song. Um, 
that song uh we honestly just i i just emailed all of the demos to jay moss and uh he was like yeah this song's uh just write some vocals to it he, he was like very dry about it. he was like yeah this song needs lyrics or this song needs vocals or something um and i was just like all right so literally like on our we drove to boston to record that record and i wrote the lyrics on the way you know i was just like what has been really what have, what have i been dealing with lately so the that was the last song that had lyrics written for it because hmm. I wrote it on the way to the studio. That's so dang sick. And sadly, you didn't include OK Hell Yeah into the lyrics, but we'll talk <laughs> about that another time. <laughs> that's such an inside oh. joke that's literally not going to resonate with anyone that's listening to this. So anyone who might have heard it or people who haven't heard it, there's there's a part of the uh, of the song that is, uh, is it Let Me Tell You is, is the lyric? Yeah. Um, and the entire tour that we were on with, with Daisy Head, every day it was just, Mike, how many beers would it take for us to get you to say, okay, hell yeah, instead of let me tell you. Um, mm-hmm. We got it one well, time. We got it one time. <laughs> we've all got a snapshot on what I deal with uh, on a weekly basis. Shane, after Michael has correctly pointed out that it is an inside joke, Shane then ins- explains the inside hey. joke to people <laughs> Making yep. me even more confused at this point. Hey, well, you just had to be there, you know? Oh yeah, it's a geography joke. You had to be geography there. Geography joke, yes. And I gotta okay. tell you, okay? Shane, I've been putting up with you for fucking 18 weeks now, buddy. And I gotta tell you, explaining an inside joke, man, that gets as, that's as white trash as white trash gets. So, congratulations. That's awesome. That one. Oh, but, man. Uh, I love that. All right. So... Something I kind of want to get into a little bit is the the reception between the smallest light and in case you missed it. So obviously the smallest light first record you guys put on on a, on a label, you know, obviously the fanfare no, might not be as much. But as you get into in case you missed it, did you notice that kind of the stock in the band was rising a little bit, kind of staying stagnant? Did you notice? You know, some more people, you know, getting some more ears on it. Did No Sleep put more money into it? What was the difference between the two records uh, as a whole? The the main difference between the two records is we did a lot more work on the back end of In Case You Missed It. Um, that's that's when you know the the main Daisy Head crew joined and we started touring really hard. The, the thing is, I I think the smallest light really really could have done a lot for us, but we did not tour off of that record very much, like at all. Because, the, like I said before, the guys in that band were not able to, you know, take, you know, three to five months of the year off of work for, for tour, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. you have to make that decision of, OK, mm-hmm. am I going to live like a piece of shit so I can play music or am I going to you know grow up a little bit? You know, so they they chose to grow up a little bit, which is a very smart choice, probably the best decision <laughs> they've ever made. Uh, but yeah, but you know, because of that, you know, I, we weren't able to, we didn't have a booking agent or a manager yet at that time. So, uh, it was interesting, you know, we really, really didn't do much work on a record that I think resonated with people more than in case you missed it. Like the, the smallest light, like the title track on that album has more listens than any song we have on Spotify by like hundreds of thousands of listens. So, uh, I, I think that's one of my biggest regrets is not figuring out a way to really push it hard when that record came out. Cause I think it resonated with people more. And in case you missed it um, was a record that sounded really good tonally and had some cool songs, 
mainly because we recorded with Jay and it was mixed by him and there were some really cool people that helped out. But we worked really hard on that record, but I don't think it was as good. Or I mean, I think it's a better record, but I think The Smallest Light was more well-received. So Mm. the difference is The Smallest Light may have been a younger record, but we could have capitalized on it more. And we capitalized harder on a record that wasn't as well-received. We didn't really get hate out of that record, but you know, it's not, it's not like we blew up because of it either. Yeah. So it's kind of like in the, in the middle sort of thing where it's like, yeah. you know, it didn't make you the biggest band in the world, but it didn't, it didn't kill your band either. You know? Yeah. Right. 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 And, and too many bands have like those, those mid tier records where it's like you put out too many of those in a row where it's like, all right, now it's going to start killing your band. You put two, three of those out in a row, which mm-hmm. I, uh, I'll mention any names, but there's a couple of bands that have been doing that as of late. But uh, yeah, but it just seems like that's another one of those pressures, man, of always trying to write, you know, the next best record. And you, I mean, you start writing that next record, you know, right after Christ. There's some, there's some songs on on some second, you know, a band will put out a first record, and the second record comes, and they'd be like, oh, we wrote this during the process of the first record, so. Mm-hmm. Um, you notice that a lot too, where, where bands kind of, uh, you know, will be sitting on material and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, true. but yeah, I mean, so, so you, you get out of, in case you missed it and then, you know, kind, kind of take us into, you know, what Daisy head is looking like since then, you know, what, what kind of changes that went through the band since in case you missed it came out until like, you know, what's been going on, like kind of recently, you know? So um, I know the band probably, uh, doesn't exist as much as it used to or things like that, but kind of take us through that process from in case you missed it into kind of the present day Daisy had uh, the way it sits now. So we have recorded to, or I guess I should say I, because it's just been different people through on, on each EP, but uh, Daisy had as a collective has recorded two EPs since in case you missed it. And the first one we did, um, you know, uh, with the producer that hit us up and uh, was wanting to just, you know, do some songs. So we went with that and we ended up promoting that EP as much as we could, kind of like as a, as a last shot. That's what we toured um, Europe off of. So um, we were kind of just playing a lot of In Case You Missed It and then those those two songs with that crew at that time that was in Daisy Head. So uh, by the end of that tour, that's when everybody that was – legitimately in the band ended up not being in it by Mm. so at that point um that's when i decided to put daisy head on a hiatus that has kind of not ended daisy head from that point became something that wasn't my identity it's something that i do for the people that still do care a little bit about the band you know because Mm. we we have a little bit of a following enough to you know go on tour every now and then or put out some music and get some some good responses from it um you know but i had to separate myself from that and uh, it was it was an interesting thing to do because then i was able to look back at everything we did and be proud of it and then just put out music for the fun of it or for you know for reasons of promoting you know mental health awareness or whatever so we put out an ep called purple and blue and then we toured europe off of that and then uh, then I wrote this EP called uh, I've Been Better with uh, some other friends and like a new collective of, uh, of people. And the music is way different too. So it's just, 
I can't really even pinpoint a genre for Daisy Head now. Now it's to a point to where um, I'll be writing songs with Shane soon. Shane and Steve from Tiger Wine. Like we have been, uh, we're in like a group chat. I've been writing demos and stuff like that. So, you know, all of the band members I had uh, were back in Nashville, but now I live in Colorado, uh, you know, like 15 minutes from Shane. So I have people in town here that I can write with and, and record music with just whenever I truly feel like it. So it be- it became, uh, it went from being my entire life to being something that's still a part of me that I can't let go of. That's essentially where I'm at now. Yeah. I mean, you, like, people give, okay, for so for example, like, people give um, guys that can't call it quits, you know, like, they, they, they like for example, like Metallica, you know, Metallica has been doing it for you know 30 or five years or whatever, you know, and a lot of people are like, Oh man, just hanging up or whatever. But like when you have the music bug and that is something that has played like kind of a vital role, it's hard to give it up because right. it's the one thing that kind of separated you from the pack. It was the one thing that you, you were like, no matter how big your band was or whatever, the fact that you collectively got with a group of people and wrote music that was coherent Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is a feat in itself. And I think yeah. it's something that no matter where your band was at, like on, on a scale, you know, or, or anything like that, I just think it's something very interesting. It's hard to give up because you're like, yeah. wow, God damn son. Like, it's like, I've been doing this for so long, you know, that, that, so when you say something like, you know, it's a part of me, like I still even feel that and I haven't been in a band in probably, you know, eight or nine years now, but, mm-hmm. um, I, to me, I mean, it's still something that still is really, you know, with me, you know, and, and it's something that I'll, you know, tell my kids about, you know, I was in a hardcore band and they'll laugh at me and they're going to laugh at me anyway, <laughs> but, um, I don't need to add any fuel to that fire, but, uh, but no, like it's just something that you can kind of look back on and be like, you know what, it's kind of like that deathbed situation. You don't want to be on your deathbed thinking, man, if I would have just done this, this or this, you know, you really got everything you you know, got out of the early part mm-hmm. of your life. So it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely one of those things where it's like, it's, it's a love hate thing for sure. Absolutely. You know? yeah. it's, it's something you can't quite get rid of, but at the same time, it's something you got to kind of move on from eventually, you know, because again, not everybody's in Metallica, you know, not everybody can make their entire living off of this, you know? So, yeah. um, but other than, other than Daisy had Michael, I mean, uh, I'm sorry I'm calling you Michael, like that's your government name, but uh, I think I'm going to call that's you okay. Mike. I, I feel like through the process, I feel like I'm going to start calling you Mike. So. Um, it's all good. But uh, other than being in a band, though, I mean, uh, we talked a little off air, man. You're from the Nashville area. We talk a lot of NFL on this, on this show, so you know what's coming. Big time Titans fan told me not so much anymore. But but used to be, remember the Aaron McNair and the Eddie George. We can't we can't let you go without talking about the Tennessee Titans, buddy. Um, yeah, let's do it. Obviously, yeah, obviously they moved to Nashville from Houston. You don't need that history lesson. But uh, what's your earliest memory about about being a Titans fan? My uh my, my older brother is like a big sports guy. He always has been. He's like the biggest Tennessee Vols fan I will ever meet. Like hmm. big, it's. It's easy to shop for him for like Christmas and birthdays because I just get him some Vols bullshit. Get him something um, orange. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally, yeah, anything orange. And he's also like the nicest guy in the world. So like, even if it was something he didn't like, he'd be appreciative. Uh, but but whenever whenever the Titans came to Nashville, he was really excited about that. 
and he got me into he's like 16 years older than me so he mm. you know i was like wait a minute pissed. jesus christ 16 years older than you are 16 years yep man yeah anyway to interrupt you continue <laughs> no no that's i that takes people back yeah my mom is uh, almost 70 yeah mm. so Weird. it's interesting yep um but yeah so he he just got me into that at a young age and that was when i looked up to him and stuff and I think that's a story for a lot of people that get into teams. It's like, cause their dad that they looked up to got them into it. And that feeling stayed with them forever. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was, I was in it from day one, you know, I, I cried when they lost the Super Bowl. I mean, oh. one yard. Oh, that Super Bowl, Kevin Dyson reaching out. And Man. I mean, that's something that I can remember watching like that game. Gut wrenching, gut wrenching scene. Him just like yeah, stretching like- as hard as he can for the, for that, for the goal line. Yeah, for that yeah. one yard, you know, because they were playing the greatest show on turf, Rams, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, absolutely, it's, just, it, it's it's something that uh, man, that has to be one of the most. And look, this is coming from a Falcons fan. Yeah, I watched the Falcons crumble in the Super Bowl, and I still mm-hmm. think that the Titans stretch man was wow, like that. It doesn't get much closer than that. Uh, obviously. Um, Steve, Steve McNair was like an Iron Man. It seemed like it seemed like he got his ass whooped on the regular, and uh, still, you know, popped up every time. Uh, those are the golden days of Tennessee Titans football. Not not like what Shane likes to tout now with you know the Marcus Mariotas and the Ryan Tannehills. Of the world. <laughs> you had like Eddie George, Steve McNair, Kevin Dyson, Javon Curse, guys like that. I mean, those Titan teams were just. Really good. I mean, look, I, I grew Derek up Mason, Frank Wycheck, like good oh, lord. My man Frank Wycheck. I I forgot about him, but uh yeah, they, I remember every time they played the Steelers, my dad was like my dad would always be like, God damn McNair plays good against the entire <laughs> rest of the league except for the Steelers, you know? Like he hated Oh that. my gosh. He hated yeah. when, when guys would set the world on fire and uh you know, and just just end up playing the Steelers and then just, you know, falling flat. But uh, but as a Titans fan, Mike, I mean, mm-hmm. how do you feel about them going to the AFC Championship last year? You know, they start off strong this year, 2-0. I mean, ha- do you think this team is poised to maybe go to the AFC Championship again? I think it's possible, but, I mean, this is such a weird year to have these kind of conversations. Mm, like yes, this, I mean – you saw week one, like with Kostowski and his kicks and stuff like that. And you oh, also, God. I mean, I, I knew Ooh. like that was, I, I'm not going to lie. Shane already warned me that you would bring that up. So I'm just going to go ahead and bring it up. <laughs> uh, but, but no, I mean, you know, that, that was like a true testament to a lot of other massive flubs mm-hmm. for a lot of game ones. I mean, you know, with no preseason and with like half the practice they would have typically had, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think it's possible. You know, but honestly, right now, I think it's just as possible for the Cardinals to get further, uh, which is, yeah. is really interesting. I know Shane brought it up uh, on you guys' week one mm-hmm. episode. Um, but I, I, but the thing is, I saw Shane that night. He, he came and watched a little bit of that Titans game with me, which was just such a disgusting loss. Like, I didn't even enjoy it. Uh, you can ask Shane. Like, yeah. I was like, that, I, don't, I don't even care that we won. That sucked ass. Um, <laughs> it was not a good. Um, it was not a good week one matchup. Yeah, but uh, the thing for me is like you know this may sound biased and stuff, but I think Ryan Tannehill is a very very underrated quarterback. 
you know, I, I, and I, I think, and you know, I know you're one of those people and that's okay. We can disagree on that. We'll see who's right. You know, this year, that's the thing is like, this is the, this is the first year that he's started from game one. So hmm. you could be right. And so could I, that's the thing is I'm not sure, but I, I want to believe it. And I, I see it possible. And man, we've had a lot of wins since he was our starter. You know, I got a majority you, wins. Ryan Tannehill has made more fucking money under the like under the radar than anybody. He signed a hundred million dollar deal with Miami, which a lot of people gloss over. Signed a hundred million dollar deal with Miami, and then turns mm-hmm. around and signs about what? What did the Titans just sign him for? Was it another hundred mil? I don't, I don't remember. I remember it was ridiculous. The thing is, this offseason was so wild, like seeing the numbers thrown around because mm-hmm. you know all of us in Nashville were like, for the love of God, no matter what you do. We have to hold on to Tannehill and, and Henry, but we lost uh, one of my favorite Titans because of that um, to the Broncos, like Jarrell Casey. Oh, okay. No, yeah, Delaney Walker. I'm, he's he's a great receiver as well. But I've I've always been like when I was young and it was was a Titans fan. Javon Curse, like he was oh, yeah. my god. You know it's what I mean? Freak. I was I loved the D line, like him and Albert Hainsworth. Like those dudes ripped it up. But. Wait a minute. Wasn't Albert Hainsworth the guy that blatantly stepped on that dude's face or yeah, whatever? Like I just, yeah, like I said, they rip shit up. So <laughs> anyway, literally. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I don't agree with that behavior, but I I will say, but but he was great, man. Like, and we had a great defense at that time too, like our secondary as well. But yeah, but I really like Jarrell Casey, you know. And I know we have Clowney. That's really really cool, and I'm excited to see what he does and. He, you know, he got that sack in like the first two minutes of the of the Broncos game. But it's it's like, a, did you guys ever see videos of Aaron Gillespie playing in Paramore? Like, yeah, Aaron, like the drummer. Yeah. yeah, you know, he's like, he's like, oh, I gotta show up and I gotta show off. That's a that's kind of what what Clowney looked like in, in week one to me. But I I think I think he's gonna sit in fine. But mm-hmm. I was bummed that we lost Real Casey. But I, you know, I love Ryan Tannehill, and I mean Derrick Henry's a no brainer and stuff, but. There's there's a lot of people on this team that are like up and coming name wise that really I think them being underrated is what got them as far as they did in the playoffs. I'm not gonna lie, I'm just gonna be realistic about that. You know, like even uh like Lamar Jackson said it himself, he's like there's an interview he did talking about that that uh Titans Ravens loss, which was oh so satisfying. But because <laughs> I, I went I went into that saying like we're gonna lose this game, but I'm gonna hang out with my friends and watch us lose and we're gonna, you know help each other be happy about it and then we we took them like at home and uh it's because you know they didn't see us as a real opponent and Lamar Jackson was like he said something along the lines of uh he's like yeah I, I was just thinking about the next game and they whooped us <laughs> like he said something yeah. really funny and integrating kind of thing so I think now it's going to be interesting when we play uh teams like the Chiefs and uh you know like the Patriots still uh, who I thought were going to be not a threat anymore. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how we hold up against them now, mm-hmm. uh, now that people are going to be taking us seriously. So I truly yeah. don't know. I, I, but the thing is, like, the Titans, over the short franchise that they've had, have come so close. You know, even even not just the one-yard loss in the Super Bowl, but there have been a lot of years, you know, where they've even gotten to the AFC Championship, you know, back-to-back or – uh, they've gotten you know into the playoffs, and then people ride them off for a while, and then they they kind of capitalize on that. So I'm I'm interested to see how it is this year, just as I am interested to see how everything's going to go this year because it's kind of like yeah. a fluke for everyone. 
and yeah, I, I hope think, I, I, I hope it's not a truncated season to that point, but uh, right yeah, comes along, you know. Yeah, um, I, I I believe in the Titans. I think we have a really good team right now, and I'm curious to see how we play against like the the bigger names now that people are taking us seriously. But we we have a good team right now. Like I think AJ Brown is amazing. And, oh, AJ Brown is the man. Like he oh he God. just reminds me of like that big physical receiver. You know, like I said, I'm a Falcons fan. Julio Jones to me might be you know top two receivers in the NFL. AJ Brown just kind of reminds me of that that big, tough, fast kind of receiver. Him and DK Metcalf both for Seattle. Those oh, are my yeah. those are my go to receivers right now. Guys that I think are going to be the face of of the NFL in the receiving aspect anyway. So Absolutely. big AJ Brown guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm well. I'm I'm glad you agree with that. And like, uh, I think we whenever I think what got me back into the Titans, you know, back when Tannehill started again, is because of our wide receiver team. Because that was another thing I really liked. Uh, I I liked the D line a lot, but also, I mean, ninety nine to two thousand, you know, three or four Titans, we had a killer wide receiver team like Derek Mason and Drew Bennett and all those guys. Mm-hmm. So now I feel like we have that again, and it's these names that people don't know yet. But like Jonu Smith, he is yep. incredible. And Corey Davis and A.J. Brown, unfortunately, is having to go week to week because of an injury. That sucks for me because he's my favorite player on the team right now. But, I mean, Funny. the games that he will play, I bet he will still produce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Funny story about A.J. Brown. I actually I was playing Madden in a league that we were in, and, and he wasn't in the league yet. And mm-hmm. he still – I think he went to Ole Miss or something like that. But uh, he mm-hmm. – uh, so he's on he's on the Madden like because you can create like the draft classes like people import them or whatever. And I saw the name AJ Brown and I thought it was a made up name because I'm like, well, there's AJ Green, yeah, there's AJ Brown too. Like, what the hell is this? Like, they're both AJs. They both have colors. It's really weird, you know. So I actually yeah, I mean, thought he was, you know, just like a made up character. Yeah, no, he he's great and you know, he he almost got offensive rookie of the year. I'm pretty sure it was um uh, it was uh the Cardinals quarterback. Kyler What's his Murray, name again? Yeah. Kyler, Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah. gosh, I'm terrified of him now. Like seeing him, dude, like with he's he's got like a killer wide receiver team right now. Yeah, oh with gosh. DeAndre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, the old grizzled veteran. You know, you can't go wrong with it. So I love that Larry Fitzgerald is still like producing. Yeah, he I know. That's like, after how long he's been doing it. This guy's just been. I remember when he played at Pitt. That's how fucking old I am. I remember when he played at Pitt, man. And when the Cardinals drafted him, I was just like, "Wow, dude! Like, who is this guy from Pitt?" And then he just turns out to be one of the most prolific receivers, not necessarily numbers wise, but just consistency yeah. every yeah. year. Uh, yeah. I remember the year they played the Steelers in the Super Bowl. man. He had that runaway catch. And I was like, look at this fucking guy here. <laughs> yeah. A real guy that just loves playing fucking football. Cause that's the thing about Larry Fitzgerald. You can definitely tell he just loves playing mm-hmm. the fucking game, man. He loves well, playing. The game. It's interesting. Cause I mean, do, I mean, do you guys agree that Deandre Hopkins is a little bit like, Larry Fitzgerald, like wide receiver oh, yeah. style wise, with like, oh, yeah, we actually, I never with thought it. about that, to be honest with you. Yeah, we actually had what? a debate on this show about DeAndre Hopkins because a lot of people were touting him as the, the best receiver in the league. I kind of disagree with that. But then after thinking about it, this is a guy that had a thousand yards receiving with guys throwing to him like Brock Was- Osweiler and Tom Savage. So <laughs> I don't think that, I think DeAndre Hopkins is very, very, 
um, in that conversation. But mm-hmm. yeah, he does have a lot of Larry Fitzgerald. Great, great comparison, Mike. Well, dude, I mean, whenever I found out that he got traded from the Texans, that was like football wise one of the best feelings I got during the off season because <laughs> finally that motherfucker is out of our division, <laughs> and it shows. Because the thing, the thing about like the Titans is we have a great secondary, but this year they're not producing. Like Ken, mm-hmm. Kenny Vaccaro, I don't know if you guys have watched either of the Titans games, but Kenny Vaccaro is like holding the secondary on his shoulders right now. But we have yeah. you know really really great people in that area too, like you know like uh, like Byard and stuff like that that really haven't been you know showing as much as they did last year. So it's kind of I'm just really really thankful. I mean we may have to face them when it comes to the Cardinals later on and something like that, but. We face the Texans like what, like two or three times every season or something like that. Yeah, in our I mean, so, so I, I used to hate when we were up against him. I think the AFC South is the most up in the air division right now in football. True, because you have four teams that are good, but how good are they? Obviously, Houston, right? Uh, o2 Indianapolis, a very weak one and one. They have not looked good at all. Um, yeah, uh, and then you have it. the yeah, I love every second of it because Philip Rivers. Uh, you know, he, he's one of those guys that, uh, I don't know, he just never really, you know, it's all he's going to rub you the wrong Golly. way. Golly. Yeah. yeah. He rubs you wrong? You don't like Phil? Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm you know. a big oh, Phil guy. Really. I'm a big Phil guy. Well, yeah. Well, that, that's, all... that's my thing about the AFC South, though, is I love watching the Texans lose, and I love, love, love watching the Colts lose. I know Shane likes the Colts, but I will always hate the Colts because whenever I was young and was like, a Titans fan that had my room painted blue and had every Jersey on the team and like, or whatever. Like when we went up against the Colts, you best believe we're going to lose to Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, <laughs> like, man, you have to deal with that twice a fucking year, you know? Yes. Three times out of five, we would lose to them. So they just broke my heart over and over. But I'm, I'm I love on the other team in the AFC South. It's the Colts, the Texans, the, it's the, the Jags, the Jags. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fuck. How did I forget about that's why, that's why that was a, that's why that was a big win for us. So that, but the thing is, I like the Jaguars. I always kind of have. I don't know why, uh, but they're they were like a team in our division that I was never like mad, mad, mad when we lost to them. But when it came to the Texans and the Colts, it was upsetting. So, Couldn't lose enough. I, yeah. <laughs> yep. But 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, so it'll be interesting. You're right to kind of see how this NFL. Uh, NFL season kind of, you know, comes to fruition. You know what, Mike, we'll probably have you on. If the Titans are in the playoffs, man, we're going to have to get you on again and and talk about that, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Please do. And I I truly just want to know, what is it going to take for you guys to believe in them as a good team? From everything Uh, they've done since Tannehill came to start, like, I just am curious, not like like being like, you guys are wrong. I'm literally just curious. (laughs) It's like, do you guys just feel like it's a fluke up to this point? So – I would Honestly, go I mean, Luke, I think I, yeah, I, I you go first. Go ahead. I would say, yeah, I want, I'd say like super high out, like balanced output consistently. Cause we know, like, mm-hmm. we know, and like even, even that, that week one game, we kind of saw it like giving the ball to Derrick Henry 30 times a game doesn't mean a walk away victory. Um, well, it meant so nothing think, like, against the Jaguars. The Jaguars shut yeah. Derrick Henry down the entire yep. game. Like we won that so, game with with Tannehill to our receivers. Yeah, so I think that's kind of like where I I want to see that. Like, I I just want to see a little like them just being a little bit more well rounded, um, mm. at a higher level where it's like, yeah, like where it's where like the wins aren't as sloppy. 
Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Honestly, it kind of it kind of has that Steelers thing for me, where it's like, where it's I'll I'll acknowledge it as a good team, but I'm not going to say they're elite because there's just too well, many sloppy wins. I think mm-hmm. it's I think it comes down to when you see a team like Kansas City and you see a team like Baltimore that are just just well oiled machines. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you you just see that, and you're just like. The thing that the, there are a lot of things I like about the Titans. I think Vrabel's a good coach. Yep. I oh, think that great. I oh think AJ Brown's an emerging star in the league. I think that I they Derrick Henry, obviously, you know, you could feed him and feed him and feed him. Mm-hmm. I just I have an issue with guys that you know Tannehill has injuries. You know, he has an injury mm-hmm. history, two torn mm-hmm. ACL. That ain't no joke. Like that's mm-hmm. that. And not that I'm saying the guy's going to fall flat in his face or whatever, but um, the thing is, though, you know, you mentioned Vaccaro, you know, the tight end and things like that. But outside of A.J. Brown, I mean, Corey Davis has grossly underperformed where they took him in the draft. Mm -hmm. I think he's underperformed a little bit. Um, Mm. I just I got to agree with Shane in the in the in the sense of like it just feels like like they win games that are slugfests. Mm-hmm. If you get them out of that, though, and it's a shootout, I don't think the Titans can keep up with a lot of teams mm-hmm. because they're not built like that. It's kind of like the Browns, if you think about it. The reason the Browns are consistent, on paper, the Browns should go 11-5, and five, but, in, but in actuality, they go 6-10 and 10 because they're playing from behind, and Baker Mayfield plays best out of play action. Play action doesn't yeah. work if... 30 points behind it just doesn't work nobody everybody in the world is going to know you're going to throw the ball mm-hmm. you know yeah. so it's i think the titans kind of suffer from that a lot of the time because they're they get so reliant on derrick henry that i think it i think derrick henry covers up a lot of the shortcomings that ryan Tannehill brings to you i think that mm. when you can feed the guy the ball 30 times you know for 110 yards or whatever not a very good yards to you know average or whatever i think that it's uh I just think it's – I think the Titans are good. I do. I don't think that they are as good as beating Baltimore in the divisional round last year. I think that was mm-hmm. kind of – I think their entire run last year was kind of fluky. You know, it was just kind of things kind of falling in place type of things. I'm a I'm – a, I wouldn't say that I hate the Titans, but I just don't like really any team in the AFC South. I don't know why. It's <laughs> – you know, I just I'm not a. There's two divisions that I really don't like very much. It's the AFC South and the NFC East. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just I've never. But I mean, I think the Titans are good, especially with the playoffs expanding the seven teams. I could mm-hmm. definitely see them being there for the foreseeable future, at least. Um, but I think that you know, if they get a six or seven seed, they're going to end up playing the Chiefs or whatever. And and you mentioned earlier, like when they play those teams, those are definitely the measuring sticks, you know, mm-hmm. the rate and the chiefs, you know, and we just saw the chargers go toe to toe with the chiefs. So do I think the Titans could sure. I think they yeah. could stay in the game. You know, it's just, do they have that well, we, killer? We beat them week 10 during the season last year. Yes, you did. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, that was, I was Mariota still in at that point. No, we, we no. have lost, I think hearts. three games since Tannehill became our starter. Like, straight up. Really just a strike to the ego of uh, Shane and all the Marcus Mariota fans no. everywhere, right? No, you, don't, you, don't, you don't make a playoff run without a QB room. He, he was still integral. It's okay. Do you think think about, you know, I mean, that's kind of like potentially if 
if Mariota gets playtime uh, now. I think maybe the thing about Tannehill is he didn't really perform great in in Miami. And I know, like you said before, he had his injuries too. That was mm-hmm. part of it. But um, I think sometimes it's just a, about being like a missing puzzle piece for a certain team. Sometimes yeah. when you have that missing puzzle piece, it can produce well for you. I personally feel like it's more that for the Titans because we have barely lost since Tannehill became quarterback. And he also helped like, really, really rise up people like A.J. Brown and stuff like that. Derrick Henry did everything else on his own. Um, This is just my opinion, though. I agree I'm biased, but you also have some bias against the entire AFC South, so neither one of us are fully being unbiased. But uh, in that sense, yeah, I I think that there's something there to be said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if if you could take one thing away – from Ryan Tannehill's tenure in Miami and his tenure in Tennessee is the the, the most glaring thing is Adam Gase is a fucking idiot. Raiding <laughs> around as an NFL head coach because look, Tannehill had some good years in Miami. I mean, good enough years where they paid him a hundred million dollars. Yeah. He wasn't this fucking good though, and I don't yeah. think that Vrabel was like an out of this world good coach. But obviously, he's better than Adam Gase is. <laughs> Which easily that's not yeah it's really he but i honestly i think he is on par with jeff fisher like i i truly do like but you know that's my bias and we'll see if that's true i want that to be true and i feel like it is potentially true because a lot of uh, i mean i feel like a lot of the reason we won that patriots game in the playoffs last year was because of the way uh rabel like played some of the stuff he learned from his old coach in new england there was like yeah. there was one play that really really helped us i don't remember what it was but it was something that Belichick used like earlier in the season and, and we used it against him and he was so mad I was and Rabel had this like smirk on his face it was like it was like a delay but, a game or something on a punch yes yeah it was yeah. it was the intentional delay of game they did it like three times in a row yeah um, yeah, anyway. so what it depends on what Jeff Fisher era you're talking about. Okay, are you talking about prime Jeff Fisher, Tennessee Titans football, or Jeff Fisher that made Jared Goff look like an asshole, and then Sean McVay gets in there and just the guys are tearing the world up, you know? So it's like, what Jeff Fisher, Jeff Fisher living in 1975 running the wishbone, you know? Like, that's no, she- you know. Surely it goes without being said. We know which Jeff Fisher we're talking about. Everybody knows when Jeff Fisher was in his prime. You know, and got a new franchise one yard away from a Super Bowl win. Although we still could have lost even if we got that touchdown. That's what I try to tell myself because that would have just tied it up. There's no telling what would have happened after that. Well, if they made the extra point because it was 23 to 16, so they still needed to make the extra point, which would have been had to have been the biggest extra point attempt ever. You, we you haven't had say. we have we also have had bad luck with place kickers, but we've also had some of the best punters of all time. I will say, uh, punter, the unsung hero. Honestly, geez, Craig Hendrick was the man. I don't know if you guys remember him. Oh, I remember him. Okay. He completed a few passes. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. so I mean, yeah, it's it, it definitely is interesting, but. Uh, you know what, Mike? Uh, we're just going to wrap it up there, man. What a great conversation we had with you, man. It's so cool to f- feel people like, uh, you know, just opening up about stuff. You know, we talked about a whole bunch of shit today, and I really appreciate your time, man. And, 
and things like that. So, but, uh, but before we get out of here, man, once you, uh, you know, plug some Daisy head stuff, plug some of your personal social stuff, man, and we'll just get the hell out of here. I'm going to plug not Daisy head at all. I'm going to plug the band that I manage early humans is about to put a record out on October 2nd. And I truly feel like it is the best record ever written by anyone ever. So. Okay. Well, that's not, that's not a, an over exaggeration or anything. No, that's an under-exaggeration for me. Under-exaggeration. I, I shout this from the rooftops. Hmm. You know what? Uh, only one way to find out. Yeah. I mean, there's only one way to find out. Check out the band, right? What's the band called again? Early Humans. Early Humans. So uh, make sure you check that out. What's, uh, what's your Twitter handle, Mike? Do you have a Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. It's uh, Michael Roski, I think. R like M I C H A E L R O E S K I. Yeah. Boring. Yeah, it's pretty what a boring. boring name, bro. But uh, it's like a, but no. it's like a really old Twitter name. Yeah. I feel. I mean, it's better than my AIM name, which was Slip Rule Sixty Nine. You know, AOL Instant Messenger. You know, because I love Slipknot. I love the rapper Jaw Rule. And Sixty Nine, man. Shout out to the drummer of Slipknot for calling the cops on me once. Jay Weinberg called the cops on you. That's sick. Isn't that tight? That's so That's sick. That's so sweet. That's so funny. <laughs> I, I mean, forget about that story. And Shane would have been like, oh, Jay's better anyway. So. <laughs> oh, he's but, a phenomenal uh, drummer. I think he's great. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, but yeah, thanks, Mike. I mean, it's great, dude. I, we're going to have you on again soon. Don't yep. worry. Especially if the Titans make it to the playoffs, baby. So, yeah, let's see how it goes. I, I want to get in like a, a group chat with you guys because I, I want to see what you guys feel about the development of this season with the Titans. Be yeah. sick. All right, Mike. Well, uh, be safe, man. And, uh, you know, just uh, we'll talk to you soon around the bend, buddy. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Sweet. Man, what a great conversation. Uh, I just I, I can't get enough when people come on here and they just want to give us the time of day. So really sweet for them to mm-hmm. join us there uh, and talk about all kinds of shit. But, uh, but yeah, Shano, I mean, before we get out of here, buddy, we do, we've do we done it every week since the NFL started. It's time for the Heel Turn Collective Week 3 picks, my man. Are you ready? Week 3, I'm born ready. Let's go. Let's do it. It's Week 3 in the NFL and just to kick it off on Thursday night, we got the Dolphins and the Jaguars. The Dolphins actually coming off a game where uh, they looked formidable against the Bills. They had the lead late, but then they lost it in typical Dolphins fashion. The Jaguars just lose an absolute heartbreaker at home <laughs> to Tennessee. Who do you got in this pivotal, pivotal matchup, Shane? I've never felt less confident about a pick. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to go Dolphins on this one. Um, okay. Solely because I can't imagine this Jaguars team winning three straight games. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, go- I'm going Dolphins. Well, they wouldn't have won three straight games because they lost last week, ass wipe. But, uh, That's they- a good point. Yeah. Uh. The Jaguars are 1-1, one and one, but I do believe they will be 2-1 and one after Thursday night because I think that they easily dispatch of the Dolphins. And, and like I said last week, I think the time starts quickening and fans start bellowing for one Mr. Tua from the University of Alabama to make his Dolphins debut. Ryan Fitzpatrick hasn't been bad, but it just seems like his time is, is running a little short in Miami. Yeah, yep, I'd, com- I'd completely agree with that. Absolutely. Next, we have an NFC matchup. Two teams that suffered key injuries last week. 
The Giants losing Saquon Barkley, torn ACL, out for the rest of the year. The 49ers losing uh, not Joey Bosa, but his brother, the other Bosa. What's his name, Shane? I'm blanking on it. And Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa also tore his ACL, also out for the yep. season. I think this is a pretty easy one to pick if Jimmy Garoppolo is playing quarterback, but if Nick Mullins is in there, more of a toss-up. Shane, who you got? The 49ers travel to New York to play the New York Giants. I'm going Niners on this one, irregardless of, at this point, who is playing for the for the Niners. The Giants look bad. The Giants look bad, 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 and they lost their one bright side of the team. So I'm going 49ers on this. Um, yeah, I... I mean, it's not going to be a good game. It's going to be wildly sloppy, but I think we're going Niners here. Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. I think the 49ers, regardless of – you're right. Regardless of who's playing quarterback, who the 49ers have available, I think that they're just overall a better team than the Giants. The Giants mm-hmm. are just – they look in disarray right now. Joe Judge, first that, time that – o, That O-line looks like trash. Oh, that O-line dude. is just terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a joke how funny it is, but uh, – I mean, no pun intended, but it is literally a funny joke, their offensive line. So I'll go the 49ers. I think that their defense is feasts on Daniel Jones, and I think they win uh, rather big on, on Sunday. Uh, next, we have the Washington football team traveling to Cleveland. I took Cleveland last week. You went the Bengals. Uh, this is an interesting matchup here. Two teams with uh, not really an identity in sight. So, Shane, who you got? The Browns or the Washington football team? Man, um, I'm gonna lean Browns um, solely because I think that I think I think that last game against the Bengals was was an eye opener for that team. I think they finally kind of figured out maybe what they're gonna try and do. Um, and yeah, and I just think that there's more potential on that Browns team than that football team. Yeah, I think so. Uh, although I will I will kind of stop a lot of people that are like, well. Mayfield and Odell Beckham have figured it out. They have not figured yeah, it out after one game, okay? And he let's threw, walk before we run. Come on. Uh, <laughs> he, he caught one touchdown pass, another one he should have had but got called back. Or there was holding that wasn't called, which was unbelievable to me. But uh, yeah. I am going the Browns here. I think they start kind of getting some momentum going. You know, that 2-1 and one is, is really, especially with that seventh playoff spot, you know, now yeah. available. I think 2-1 and one is a good spot to be in. I, I just think Washington, after starting good week one la- last week against Arizona, just, uh, I don't know, just didn't really click. And so I, I'm taking the Browns here just because I think that they're a better overall team than yep, Washington is that. right now. Uh, yep. Next, we have two teams that have really no fucking idea where they're going. It's the Bengals and the Eagles. Carson Wentz seems like he's regressed, if you ask me. Uh, the yeah. Eagles look like dumb. I, I will put myself on record. A couple weeks ago, I did go on a Carson Wentz rant. That was last week, um, Shane. That was last week. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm i leaning Bengals on this one. Oh, um, man. Solely because I think the Bengals – the Bengals, are, I think, are at least trending forward, whereas the Eagles feel like they're getting like less and less organized when they're repassing. You're right. Um, Joe Burrow, you asked him to throw the ball 61 times, the most impressive stat. 61 times. 61 times. And the most impressive stat, we talked about in a word up or bird up with me and Jordan, the most impressive stat, zero interceptions, which I think is, for throwing the ball 61 times and being a rookie, 
you're always going to get the nod from me. Except in this game, I think the Eagles are going to win. Uh, I, I can't see the Eagles going 0-3. I just think the Bengals are a team that don't have any deep threats. I mean, A.J. Green is there and Tyler Boyd and things like that. They have solid receivers, but last week just showed that, that A.J. Green just isn't the A.J. Green of old, at least yet. He might get there, but uh, yeah, I, I just think I think the yeah. Eagles kind of come out strong, you know, and the Bengals are just 0-3 uh, in a tough division. Uh, I just think that eventually the Bengals will be good, but right now uh, I just think that they lack the amount of firepower they need to win these kind of mm. games. So uh, yeah. I'm going to go the Eagles here. Uh, very opposite you, my friend. Uh, mm. Next, the Las Vegas Raiders travel to New England to take on the New England P- Patriots who are off that heartbreaking loss against Seattle on Sunday night. And I got to go, bro. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go first on this one. I think New England wins. The Cam Newton that we're seeing in, Cam- in New England is something that we haven't seen since probably his rookie year. And you talk about a team that lacks depth almost everywhere. New England fits that bill, but yet they make it work somehow. I take the Patriots to go over the Raiders here. Yep, 100% I agree with you on this one. Um, I was very, very impressed by that Patriots team, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm picking this team, and I think I think this is going to be a runway game, I think. Yeah, uh, I just think the Patriots are... The Patriots are clicking right now. Cam Newton looks good. I think Belichick's scheme is working for him well, so I'm very excited to see what's in store for the Patriots and Cam Newton. Uh, next, we have the Bears taking going to Atlanta and taking on the Falcons. The Bears are going to win. Shane, what says you? Uh, the Bears are also going to win. Um, I know I said to start off the, the Week 3 matchups here that I didn't feel real confident about the Dolphins and Jags. There's one thing I am confident in is that the Falcons look lost. Um, nope. They look lost. Oh, Jesus Christ. They shouldn't have let Dan Quinn on the plane, man. They should have fired him and left him at the fucking tarmac. Okay, for that performance, look, we started the show with the clip. Oh, God, I can't even fucking relive it. The Bears are going to win because Trubisky, look, Trubisky's going to go in there, take the Bears to 3-0. The Falcons are going to look 0-3, and I hope they fucking just get – they just – Clean house and get rid of everybody, please. Before Lance season, <laughs> yes. Before Lance has a fucking stroke, you know. But uh, next we have probably one of the bigger matchups in Week Three. Not the biggest. We'll get to that. But one of the bigger matchups in Week Three. The Rams travel to Buffalo to take on the Buffalo Bills. Both teams are two and zero. This is a pick'em for me. But uh, Shane, what says you? I'm to be honest with you. I'm gonna lean Bills on. Um, which I never thought in my adult life that I would, that I would be picking the Buffalo Bills over the Rams. Um, but this Bills team has just been progressively impressing, impressing me more and more. Um, and yeah, I, so I, th- I think Bills take this one. I do too. Like, uh, I hate to agree with you, man, but, but the Buffalo Bills are, they just feel special to me. They feel rugged yeah. and they feel yeah. like they're, they're well coached. And it just seems like Josh Allen is poised to take that step. I heard a conversation earlier on the radio, Shano, that uh, Josh Allen might be in the MVP conversation towards season end. Who knows? I mean, with Stephens, with weapons like Stephon Diggs and, you know, just a, a plethora of other options he has on the offense, I think the Bills go in, and I think they beat the Rams. I think it's close, but I will take the Bills here 
to uh, to. It, it would be close. I could even see overtime on this one. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> next we have the Houston Texans traveling to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. The Texans are 0-2, but they have played two. I mean, they played the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens the first two weeks. It's like not even fair. Uh, the Steelers come 2-0, but once again, you want to talk about the opposite end of the spectrum. They have played the New York Giants with Daniel Jones, a quarterback. They played the Denver Broncos. Drew Locke gets hurt. Jeff Driscoll in, but the Steelers still eke out a victory. I think the Steelers win this game, Shano. I think the Steelers are a special team. You don't agree with me on that, but I think they send Houston to 0-3, and that just adds more questions about Deshaun Watson and Bill O'Brien. Shane, who are you taking in this game? I, I could go either way on this one. Um, I might lean Texans, to be honest with you, um, solely because like those two Steelers loss, or wins have been sloppy. They haven't been good. They've been against bad teams. Um, but... Um, and yeah, this is like their first real matchup with an, with another actual football team. And I think, um, yeah, I think, man, I'm so dang torn because I want to say Texans, but this is also the game that that the Steelers would win by 30 on. Um, so man, I hmm, mid thought here, I, I, I'm gonna switch over. I'm gonna go Steelers. Wow, picking this, picking the Steelers, which is shocking. Uh, Shane, you're you're a known Steeler fan, but have been a known Steeler hater for a long time. You know, at the same time, like. Yeah, I've never it's, seen it's somebody, a double-edged sword. I've never seen somebody flip-flop on a team so much in my fucking life, but uh, <laughs> congratulations on that. Uh, next, we have the Titans and the Vikings. The Vikings look, I mean, putrid on Sunday. I mean, they yeah. look terrible. They lost to a a very average Indianapolis team, and they made Phillip Rivers look like Joe Namath. Uh, <laughs> but I think this is kind of a redemption game. I can't. I just can't see Tennessee going to 3-0. I just can't. The kicking game is out of this world. Goskowski missed another extra point yesterday, dude, which I, what I, is going on with him, dude? I like whenever I saw that. That was also one of those things where whenever they pick, whenever the Titans picked him up, where I was like, dude, um, this is actually get, like this is gonna add a lot to this team. Actually, mm-hmm. he's kicking like trash. Dude. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Um, so who are you taking in the game though, Shane? Yeah. Um, I think I'm gonna go Vikings on this one. Yeah. Um, I I think the old uh, if I die I die, um, prime time Kirk Cousins uh, shows up on this one, and I think they pull out a W. I gotta say, man, I don't think there's a team that misses a player more than the Vikings missing Stephon Diggs. I just can't. Their, their offense just looks just look. Adam Thielen's getting triple covered. Who else is there? Off, you know. Laquan Treadwell, yeah. like who else is there? Yep. You know, so, uh, but I think the Vikings kind of right the ship a little bit. Send Tennessee to two and one. Um, I, I, I think it's it's an interesting game, but at the same time, it's not one that that I particularly have my eye on either. So, uh, next we have the Panthers going to SoFi Stadium to take on the Chargers. How the hell they lucked out and got two home games in that beautiful stadium when? Uh, the Spanos family didn't even pony up any for it. Uh, it's still beyond me. But uh, in this game, man, Panthers, Chargers, look, you, you can't you can't deny the fact Justin Herbert, look, he came in uh, for a guy that was told minutes before kickoff, hey, you're starting. He looked good, throws for 300 yards, goes toe-to-toe with Kansas City. I think they go back to Tyrod Taylor here, though. Um, if they go back to Tyrod Taylor, I think the Panthers win. If... You have Justin Herbert in there. I think it gives them a better shot. 
I think Tyrod Taylor will be better, will be back, which means I'm taking Carolina um, to uh, go to go to Los Angeles and kind of pick up the W. I, I think that they've done enough to to look good in that sense. But uh, Shannon, this isn't all about me, buddy. Who you got in this game? I'm going Chargers. Um, that, that that whole team, not just the quarterback play, impressed me against those Chiefs. Um, yeah. So and I, and I think. I think they're going to step up to the plate, and I think that Christian McCaffrey miss being miss, like gone for the Panthers. Um, I just think they're, they're going to be looking for some help there. Um, so yeah, I, I think the Chargers pull this one out. Yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be a competitive game for what it's worth, which is which is always fun. Uh, next, boy, I'll tell you what get your get your local cable provider's number right now, my friend. The Jets are going to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. The Jets and the Colts. I'm taking the Colts because I don't think I've seen a team look worse than the Jets have through the first two weeks of the season. It was pretty bad. Yeah. What says <laughs> um, I'm going I'm going Colts on this one, and I'm, I'm going to make a little a little Shane Stradamus call on this one. Uh-oh. Blowout, too. Uh-oh. Shane Stradamus pokes his head back up. Uh, yep. And says that the Colts will blow out the Jets, which I don't think is really going out too much of on a limb there. <laughs> uh, but uh, I will also take the Colts just because the Jets are just just awful. So um, <laughs> next we seemingly ha- trying to be awful. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, next we have the Cowboys off the luckiest goddamn win on earth, taking on the Seattle Seahawks. I'll make this short and sweet for you, buddy. I'm taking the Seahawks. I think Russell Wilson looks unbelievably good right now. What says you, yep. Shane? Um, I'm going Seahawks as well. Um, we are seeing MVP, call it right now, going into week three. The MVP, Russell Wilson, is going to is going to take over this game. Um, he's he's going he's gonna to run the Cowboys out of town, I think. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. I think Seattle wins. I don't know how handily it'll be. You know, it is in Seattle, but they don't have that 12th man advantage that they normally do. So... It'll be interesting to kind of see um, how that all plays out, but I am also taking the Seahawks. Also, because obviously Russell Wilson's a thing, but the thing that really gets me is DK Metcalf is a monster. Yeah, he's very he's 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 a good receiver, and he went toe to toe, absolute toe to toe with Stephon Gilmore on Sunday night. Who isn't a scrub? Not a scrub. He's a defensive player of the year. Of course, he's not a scrub. He was a defensive player of the year, but. Um, I just think that the Seahawks are on another level. Uh, that entire NFC West, by the way, all 2-0 right now. Yeah. You know, with that seventh seat, could you see four, all four teams getting into the getting into the uh, the playoffs? You know, it'd be wild. <laughs> that, that would be the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna go Seahawks here. I think that they uh, dispatch of the Cowboys uh, Sunday at 4:25. Next, uh, another 425 game. The Lions travel to Arizona. Shane, you have been big on the Arizona bandwagon as of Huge. late. Do you think Huge. that momentum continues and they beat the Lions this week? Yes, I and, I, and, I'll, and I'll do you one better. I think they dog walk the Lions. Man, um, you're calling a lot of blowouts this week, Shano. Yeah, uh, there's a lot, a lot of good teams playing really bad teams, and this Very is true. one of them. Um, I think the Cardinals are going to bury the Lions. Um, Kyler Murray, he's playing out of his mind right now. Well, um, I got to tell you, every time DeAndre Hopkins catches a touchdown in Arizona, by the way, by the way, he has like 30 catches through the first two weeks. 
Um, every time he catches a touchdown pass, a little piece of Deshaun Watson just dies. A little piece dies every time. Oh, has to. Come on. Because now Deshaun Watson with no weapons uh, really at all. You know, he's got Randall Cobb and stuff. But as you can see against the game uh, with the game against Baltimore, it's just not going to cut the snow. That's just not going to do it. So. Yep. Uh, but I think the Cardinals win here. I think the Cardinals are a lot better than people give them credit for. I know, Shane, before you say anything, I know you, you've been saying that. But uh, I think that I think the Cardinals win here, and I don't think it's close either. I think Matt Patricia's time in Detroit's kind of coming to an end. It has to be. It has to be. I, he, like, he, he's done making the diet Patriots. Get him out of town. They need a new guy there. Yeah, yeah, I do believe so. So I'll go the Cardinals here to go 3-0 and make that division even stiffer. Yep. Uh, next, we have the Broncos going to – or the Buccaneers going to Denver and taking on the Broncos, led by Jeff Driscoll. I don't think there's a lot of uh, drama in this one, Shane. I'm taking the Buccaneers. Uh, I just I, – I don't know. I just uh, – Jeff Driscoll-led Broncos team. I'm taking the Buccaneers as well. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I, <laughs> I didn't think if you would have taken the Broncos, that would yeah. have been the upset of the well, week. Well, <laughs> it's – it's tough, and I'm gonna say this too. Like, I expect this one to be a close one. Um, uh, like, us, like we are guilty of this as well. But I think people oversold the Buccaneers thing to start the year. Um, that team doesn't look good. That team does not look good. Um, like, particularly that offense. So, um, I'm going Buccaneers here. But I could see a close game, or I also could see a uh, a sneaky Broncos win. How about uh, how about my boy Rob Gronkowski, an absolute no show through two weeks. Zero catches for zero. Who would have thought? Who yeah. would have thought? Yeah, who would have like, thought? Unbelievable. <sighs> Not shocked by that whatsoever. The Saints, are back, the Saints are back in prime time next week, Shano. They take on the Packers in New Orleans. Obviously, with no fans, it's not the same. But in this game, the Packers look red fucking hot. I mean, red yep. hot. And we, uh, got, we got heel Aaron Rodgers under center. <laughs> love it. Love it. And in this game, I think they beat the Saints. Uh, right yep. now, as we as we kind of wind down in week two, uh, the Raiders are giving the Saints all they can handle, and the Packers are way better than the Raiders are. So I think it's yep. going to be an interesting time, but I think it's time for uh, the Saints to pack a lunch because I think the Packers are coming. Yep. Yeah, I, I'd agree with literally everything you said. Um, I don't think that this one's going to be necessarily close. I'm probably going to call like a – two possession like maybe like a 10 um 10 maybe 13 point lead for this game uh for the packers but yeah i I just think that 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 offense is gonna be way too much yeah and then we get the heavyweight battle on monday night the game everybody's going to be looking for i wouldn't be surprised if it's the highest rated game in the nfl all season and maybe for the last couple of seasons it is Mm -hmm. the kansas city chiefs going to baltimore to take on the Baltimore Ravens and what some people think are the best two teams in the NFL. This is an absolute toss-up, Shane. So I'm going to let you go first. Who do you think comes out victorious on Monday night? Well, I think we're going to see like, like all the stuff that you just said. Um, this game is going to be unbelievable, I think. I think this is either going to go – I mean, I, th- I could see this being a, you know, a 40 to – like high 40 to low 40 game. Like some just – crazy shootout um with that being said um i 
think, and I feel crazy for saying this, I think I'm going to go Ravens. Um, solely because I think that, like, somehow that team has a chip on its shoulder right now. Some, somehow they're kind of going with this underdog mentality. And they've shown the last couple weeks that they don't mind just beating the crap out of teams. Um, and I, I think people kind of paint them as, like, this finesse football team. Right? They're way more power than... than than people might expect. And I just think that that's just going to... Fourth quarter, I think that that's going to win against the Chiefs. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been going back and forth on this one. I could see cases for both teams winning. I think this is a AFC title match uh, in the making. I think both yep. of these teams make it to the AFC title game. But I got to give game one to my boy Patty Mahomes, man, and the Kansas City Chiefs. I got to say... As good as the Ravens have looked, until you knock the king off the perch, man, the king will always be the king. And the Chiefs right now, defending Super Bowl champions. They didn't choke in the playoffs last year. The Ravens did, losing to a to a subpar Tennessee team that the Chiefs then dispatched of the next week. So I'm going to take the Chiefs in this game, but I think it's awfully close, and I think both teams look fantastic in the end of it. You know? Yeah, th- this isn't going to be like a one team gives the game up sort of game. Oh, it's no. going to be. Uh, There's going to be. Th- this a... is going to be like you said it before, like alluding into this one. This might be the best game that we've seen in the last five years. I'll yeah. call it right now. I mean, that usually means a game win six to three, and it is a real stinker. But uh, for what we know right now, I I think we'll get something uh, something that isn't a stinker, and I think mm-hmm. that it'll be uh, it'll be something that both teams can really kind of have some momentum for which is really rare for a team uh, a game where two teams can kind of come out looking good on the other end that's yep. what it would end up being so and yep. uh, with that wraps up our week three picks here on the heel turn collective podcast so far I mean look Shane the records speak for themselves buddy 22 and 10 for you 23 and 9 for me overall. Last week both went 13 and 3, so fingers crossed we can repeat, have another solid week, you know, just give ourselves the old pat on the back, you know what I'm saying? Mhm. Mhm. I mean, yeah, we, we ain't no scrubs. No, nah, we ain't no scrubs. Well, hey, this is a football show. This is a football show. Absolutely. So, uh but yeah, I mean that that kind of brings us to the end here, but before we get out of here, we always go over the heel of the week and I think Everybody in the world knows where I'm going with this one. Shane, I'm not even going to let you get a vote, buddy. This is the heel of the week. You know what? An entire unit is the heel of the week. The Atlanta Falcons special teams unit are the heels of the week. Fuck you, man. Whoever whoever the special teams coach is, got fired immediately, please, before I tear my hair out. Uh, you're wasting Julio Jones. You know what? It's the entire Falcons roster is the heel of the week. The heels of the week, collectively. Uh, Arthur Blank, you're a heel because you didn't fire Dan Quinn, leave him on the tarmac. Uh, let's see here. Thomas Dimitrov or whatever. You're the heel because you decided not to fire Dan Quinn last year. Dan Quinn, you're a heel hmm. because you're an idiot. Uh, Matt Ryan, you're, you're a heel. You're the heel of the week because... You're so average, and yet people tout you. Matty Ice. Matty oh, Ice. God damn it. Don't even get me started on that Matty Ice bullshit. Julio Jones, you're a heel because you dropped a wide-open touchdown. Don't even get me started on that. 
Uh, Todd Gurley, where the hell is he at? Oh, God. I could go on forever. Shane, the Atlanta Falcons are the heels of the week, buddy. I can't disagree with you. Indefensible. Um, I've never seen defensible. a team. I've never seen a receiving unit wait for an onside kick to go 10 yards. Oh, that God. is what baffles me the most. Jesus Christ, this. you don't have to wait. You can dive on the ball. You can dive on the ball, man. Pick it up. Pick it up, please. Just pick the ball up. I'm watching this game. I swear to God, Shane. I'm watching this game. And I'm like, this is fucking unbelievable, bro. Unbelievable. They're just watching. No, I get it. This onside kick was goofy. It was the goofiest thing I've ever seen. But God damn it. Fall on the ball. Masterful play by Greg Zerline, by the way. I mean, look at Legatron strikes again. (laughs) Legatron strikes again. Also, also, Shane, I thought Greg Zerline was from, like, Australia. Not true. He's an American. Where is he from? Uh, Let's see here. I I thought he was from New Zealand or something. I was like, man, I thought this guy was from... Like, I also thought this, I thought he was he was not like a down under kind of guy as well. Yeah, me too. Like that's what I thought. Born Lincoln, Nebraska. Never would have guessed. That's Literally about as, never would have guessed. That. That's about as far from like like Australia as you can get, bro. Lincoln, Nebraska, for crying out loud. But <laughs> that might be um, the polar opposite of of, yeah. of Australia. You know, Lincoln, Nebraska. If we were gonna give a face of the week, though, I mean, and I I'd never thought I'd say this ever. And it'll probably never happen again. Harrison Butker for the Kansas City Chiefs, the kicker, made three, count them, three 50-plus yard field goals. First one was 53, gets a false start, moves back to 58. Second one, Anthony Lynn from the Chargers, ices him with a timeout, makes it. Third one, game winner, makes it. I mean, fucking money, man. I would agree. Apparently, I I read a thing that – when they tried to ice him for the game winner, he just looked over at the sideline, and he and he said that uh, they like he essentially took that as that they thought he was mentally soft. So he like he said he said that the chip on his shoulder just got bigger, so he just hit the ball harder. Mm. <laughs> Jesus Christ! But it's yeah. So the heels of the week, the Atlanta t- Falcons' entire organization in the face would be Harrison Budker because Scouts, yeah, um, everybody. I don't care if you're on the goddamn everyone in that building. <laughs> look. I don't care if you're on the goddamn practice squad. You're you're part of the heels of the week this week. Kiss my fucking booty. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I I could go on forever, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to bore everybody to death. I'm done with this fucking team, though. I'm going to say that every week as they as they dwindle into mediocrity and end up going five and eleven again. We talked about it with Vinny, man. Would you rather have low expectations going into the season and be shitty or have all these high expectations and be shitty? Again, I would go with the low expectations because then you're just thinking you're going to go 3-13. and 13. This Falcons team, you know, everybody thinks everybody touts them as being great. Fuck, you haven't shown me anything. I haven't you know? seen it in years. <laughs> Hell no, I haven't seen it in years. So, fuck me, man. Anyway. Uh, but that brings us to the end of the show, Shano. Make sure you're going to wholefastcoffeeco.com and using that promo code HEELTURN20 for 20% off your entire basket today. We keep saying it every week. Vinny Snyder and everyone over there, great people. Uh, just uh, yep. their coffee's you know responsibly sourced, 
great coffee, great people. Just go ahead and support a small business, and you'll be helping the show mm-hmm. out too, which isn't a bad thing. Um, yeah, if you don't like coffee too, that promo code also works for the hats. It works for all their apparel, all that fun stuff. So absolutely. find a way to back a small business. Look, for you, sure. you want to get an embroidered hat that says Hold Fast Coffee, they got it. So make sure you check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure you're going to all their socials and just letting them know that the Heel Turn Collective Podcast sent you there. Um, while you're at it, go to Facebook and like the Heel Turn Collective Radio Network. We have updates all the time about what we're doing. We have shows that we run. We're going to start running shows five days a week here pretty directly um, where we have podcasts uh, Sunday, Tuesday, and Fridays. We're going to have shows to kind of fill in the gaps so that we can bring you new content every single day of the week, which uh, is always good. you know. So we stay on top of things and uh, – Make sure that we're always on top of all the current events. So make sure you check out me on Twitter. I'm at Collective Heel. Shane is at Rain Shiley. My Twitter is much more active over the last couple of days after watching that Falcons game where I almost ground my fingers into nubs. Um, God damn it, Shane. They, they were up 39 to 30, buddy. They're up 39 to 30 with like fucking five minutes left. Oh, God. I'll never get over this one. Hey, in the words of Antonio Brown, man, business is booming, baby. Yeah, well, uh, if I'm not dead by next week, we'll be here again on Tuesday. If the Falcons don't disappoint me again to the point where I run out and a car strikes me in traffic, uh, it'll be okay. Though. Yeah. So uh, we will be here next Tuesday, as always, with our picks. And then who knows? We mm-hmm. might even have a special guest that we're bringing along with us, but you'll just have to tune in to find out. I am Lance. He yep. is Shane. And until next week, Heelanites, stay safe, wear your mask, and just love each other. Peace. And don't be a racist. <laughs>